Halo, halo, Sacred Icon listeners. We used to do ads for other people, but I decided, why don't we do one for ourselves? Whether you're here listening to us for the first time or you've heard every episode, I'd like to briefly tell you what we're about and how you can support us. We have been doing this podcast since 2019, and with that has come lots of changes. We started as a primarily Halo-only show, but have evolved, combat evolved, over the years to talk about a wide variety of things in the realm of nerd culture. As you can imagine, we've made numerous changes to our platforms, usernames, and emails over the years, so now is the time for me to set things right and give the Covenant back their bomb. You can join our Discord by clicking the link included on our podcast feed. You can also send us an email or a voice message at sacrediconpodcast at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash sacredicon, and we no longer use Twitter or X or whatever else the kids are calling it these days. So if you see someone who looks like us there, just know it's not us. Lastly, you can support us on patreon.com slash sacredicon and receive a bevy of bonus content. We're so glad you chose us to be the voice in your ear on this particular day and hope you enjoy the episode ahead. Hello, hello, hello. Three times for you, Aaron, if you're listening. Boom, boom, bang, bang, triple kill. Hello again, everyone, and welcome, welcome to the one and only Sacred Icon Podcast. We are back with episode 92, featuring a very special debut. I'm your co-host and Star Wars Galaxy Master, Joshua Hargis. Join with me, as always, is my buddy, my pal, my friend, and the one all the Gotham goons find themselves saying, It's the freaking bat! Brian Arvett. And joining us for the first time is one of our very own sacred boys, Spartans and Spartans. Please give it up for our dear friend and your host of Oni Nightwire himself, Brenton Bagley. Brenton, welcome to the show. Yay! Thank you, Josh. Thank you. Another killer intro by Joshua Argus. Very amazing. That was the first try, guys. It's not always the first try. No, it never is. <laughs> um, Jake today. I like the yeah. uh, the Batman henchman impersonation. Like, the only I other thing he could have said is like, oh, what's that over there? See, yeah, dude, what? I keep seeing TikToks of that now where people just show like their own POV of like getting beat up by Batman and it's hilarious. I mean, really? the only the only the only true uh Batman Arkham thug is Joe Rogan. Let's be real here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, truly. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah. No, but guys, uh if you guys remember we had our buddy Corey Hanks on a little over a month ago. Um if you guys don't know what this is, we you know, we have guests on a lot of times, but we also have a patron tier that guarantees people can be a guest uh, as soon as they want to be on. Um, and Brent is one of those people who joined the uh, Sacred Boy tier, which uh, means boy. he can be on the podcast with us. And we finally got together to, to be on here and, and just talk to him about Halo, his thoughts on uh, Halo Infinite, uh, maybe get into a little bit of Fellowship of the Ring through Return of the King, uh, the Ooh. extended edition, because we were all Lord of the Rings fans here, and then uh, talk about some of Brent's own personal content creation and what he's doing with with Nightwire. So, uh, yeah, we're glad to have you here, Brent. Um, this is a thing that everyone does, and it's always fun to listen to. Nobody gets sick of it. Tell us your Halo origin story, how you first played the game, how you first heard of it, how you got into it. What's your journey with Halo been like from the beginning? Take us there. All right, well... First of all, yeah, it's totally a bribe, guys. I just paid, I basically slipped these guys a hundred bucks and was like, throw me on the show, all right? <laughs> so don't feel inclined, like, oh man, what the heck? Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I think Halo, like a lot of things happened all at once for me. Um, just getting into games in general, my uh, early experience with games was with the Nintendo 64, 
but I think the only cartridge we had was Wheel of Fortune, which is oh, like, shit. okay, cool. It was like, learn your letters, kid. And I was about, <laughs> um, I think it was about five. Okay. okay. And uh, not too long after that, we had a neighbor come over, and he's like, hey, you got a PlayStation? He was kind of a funny guy. He was a pharmacist, and he's like, Hey, you got a, hey, Brent, you got a PlayStation? I'm like, five. I'm like, PlayStation? I'm like, yeah, we have one of those. He's like, you do? I'm like, yeah, it's out back. I thought he meant a playground. I was like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I had no clue. Zero Uh clue. He's like, no. He's like, come on. And he brings in this gray box. And I'm like, what is this thing? And it uses discs instead of cartridges. And it was like, what? Well, you know, he's a great guy. He's like, yeah, here, you're again, you're like five years old. He's like, play Driver, which I'm not sure if you can play those. I've played Driver. Yeah, it's all very hard tutorial mode. Oh, yeah, it's super tough. You're like, what? I had no idea. And uh, it's all crime and everything. I'm soaking it up. I love it. (laughs) Um, That kind of kicked off me getting into like, whoa, there's more to this than anything else, these 3D games. More than Wheel of Fortune. Who knew? Yeah, Wheel of Fortune. (laughs) Yeah, who would have guessed? And then Driver there after that. And I think that's like all we had for the PlayStation 1 because it was just a, it was like a loner. He just like brought it over because he got rid of it. He had bought a PlayStation 2. Well, I loved the PlayStation so much that um, that holiday, my parents surprised me and they got me the PlayStation 2 with like the launch titles for it. I think it was like Jack and Daxter, Mm. the first one, which starts my love for that that series. And uh, I think it was like ATV uh off-road racing or something like that you remember they used to make those a lot yeah I remember yeah those. yeah <laughs> and um i just played the hell out of jack and daxter and that was like my first 3d walking around sort of game love it so this is i mean this is uh like 2001 or 2002 i want to say mm-hmm. i think the playstation 2 came out in 2002 so this would have been after but that previous christmas this is like already convoluted that previous Christmas, we would always go over to my great aunt and uncle's house. And at this time, I think they were like in their 40s. And uh, they had no kids, so they loved having us over. Like oh, filled nice. that gap for them. But as a result of no kids, they had all these toys. They always had the best toys uh-huh. right at lunch. And we didn't grow up very rich, so going over there was like, oh my gosh. It was like, felt like Richie Rich walking into the mansion. Oh, that's pretty cool. It was cool. It was a very unique experience. When you leave, uh, you're like, how did one of these toys slip in my bag? That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think for my parents, a lot of it was like, send us down there to like, all right, you guys are going to get new school clothes because like, we could barely afford to put groceries on the table kind of thing. I was uh, the oldest of four, so okay. I had three younger siblings after me. Okay, I got you. Anyway, we went over there um, one Christmas and kind of the same thing. He's like, hey... He's like, Brent and my great uncle. He's like, yeah, you have an Xbox? And I'm like, an Xbox? I'm like, again, I'm like totally baffled. I'm like, what do you even mean? This just sounds like regular jargon. You have a playset like, in the backyard. Is that what you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I slide on my Xbox every day. No, he's uh, he's like, no, no, come on. So he takes us in and he loads up Halo, of course, because this is like right after it had come out. And... Uh, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. That looks neat. And he's like, yeah. But then he goes down to the bottom of the menu where it had the demos. And he's like, here you go. Play Fusion Frenzy. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, works for me. I love that. Bill Gates' favorite game, if you weren't aware. <laughs> yeah. <Fusion Frenzy. laughs> yeah. Uh, and, I love uh, the game. Played the hell out of it. Plus, it had, I think, Fusion Frenzy had four-player co-op. So then it was something that I could play with the younger siblings. But at this time, like, my youngest sister, she might have been only, I don't know, like one or two. So we were all still really young. 
Well, I would kind of like, once everybody would leave the room, I eventually got curious and I'd sneak out of Fusion Frenzy and sneak into Halo. And then my uncle saw me playing. He's like, you can't play that. It's got guns in it. But he knew I was maybe a little smarter than the average bear. So he was like, all right, well, I'll give you a shot with it. And that damn Duke controller, I mean, it's like, <laughs> I could Huge. not. I had to hold it up with like my knee practically. I was like, like the small kid. <laughs> That's my favorite controller, but I get it's it. So it's so big. I would love so to big. buy buy one just for PC, but man, the, the prices are jacked up on them. The new ones. Pretty high, yeah. Um, So that's kind of it. I remember playing through Halo, playing through Pillar of Autumn. And uh, anything where it got dark, where you needed the flashlight. Again, I'm a little kid. I'm like, I don't want to play this. I just hop, hand over the controller. I'm, I'm like six. I'm not even six yet. I hand over the controller. Mike. I'm like, get through, get through this part, man. I can't do this. <laughs> Too dark. Uh, when we get out of Pillar of Autumn and we get onto Halo, I remember that's when, and I know a lot of people have a similar experience. That's when my mind was blown. That's when it's like, wow. I mean, I had gotten some of that sensation of... Uh, Corey, Hank, he, Corey Hanks talked about this too. It's like a lot of those games from that time, there would be some sort of set piece where you could step out and you could really soak in the scale of that world. Yeah. And you get a little bit of that in some of the PS2 early launch titles, like with Jack and Daxter and stuff. But it, with Halo, it was just like, yeah, I felt this sense of adventure was ahead of me. And it was yeah. well, an incredible having- feeling for a, for a five-year-old. I wasn't even six. I mean, it's it's hard to beat to this day. I think being in the first person perspective also did wonders for, for oh, making it feel that way. You definitely. know, like you said, Jack and Daxter, which is one up there with one of my some of my favorite games as well. Great game, but yeah, it was just, Jack and Daxter was like perfecting a formula we'd already had for five six years, and Halo was like this whole new thing to consoles. It was really amazing. Um, so then, where were you at? Come time for Halo Two, then were you? Did you have your own Xbox by then? No. So yeah, we grew up really. Like I said, we grew up really tight. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that was like new or special usually came from somebody else's house. And, uh, like I was lucky to get Jack two when that came out and that was also mind blowing for different reasons. Turn this into a Jack and Daxter podcast, but it's like similar <laughs> no, reasons. Oh dude, love it. Love it. Yeah, you know, Halo's all like touring around the first Halo combat evolves is touring around a mostly natural environment. And then the second one is like, well, it's a cityscape. It is kind of mind blowing. It's totally different environments. Jack 2 does the same thing, right? It's like 200 years in the future or whatever. It's like a city. And it's obviously way more edgier and grimier than oh, yeah. that game. Not <laughs> that Halo is really that, but yeah. I think you guys have said before, too, and I, I wildly agree. It's like Halo 2 is more realistic in a way. It's like going for a realistic aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyway, my experience with Halo 2 is two more Christmases later, the same thing, going to his house, and he's like, Hey, did you play Halo 2 yet? Like, he he doesn't know that. I don't have an Xbox at home. I'm like, no. I'm like, there's a second one of these? And now I'm only, like, seven or such. Again, same experience. Now he's like, just here, play it. Load it up. And we can play together, which is yeah. great. Um, it's this nice melding of two different generations. I mean, we're, like, two generations apart. He's so much older to me. So it's just growing up then, even I always thought like, well, video games are for little kids and stuff. But here's this guy. He's like in his fifties and he's like, here, son, <laughs> take the controller. <laughs> you know, it's cool. I was like, all right. Yeah. I wish. Yeah. I didn't know any adults that were really into video games. Sounds like that time. kind of like was able to kind of bring you guys together, like uh, a tie that kind of bonded you guys. Oh, like, big time. Like and to this Keith's. day, 
What's it's like a Captain Keys moment where he hands you the Xbox. He's like, I don't keep it loaded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's good, Brian. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, you're probably right. I mean, I think him and I have a really strong bond. It's it's funny now. I've been trying to give him an Xbox for years. I'm like, come on, man. He hasn't played anything uh, since Halo 2. He's wow. like stuck in this time capsule where for him, Halo 2 is like, that was the ending. Even with the cliffhanger, he's like, yeah, well, I'm wow. done here. Wow. And I think it's just because he aged into it. Now he's finally, he might take me up on the offer. He's like. Because I'm finally getting rid of my Xbox One. I never use it. I'm like, I got this, and it's got every Halo game in the last, you know, whatever yeah. years on it. It'd be really... interesting to hear his opinions if he played through them all, like how, how he thought, you know. Right. If he arrived at some of the same opinions as the as the rest of the community, or if he had completely wildly different opinions. He might he could be like, you know, Halo 3, I really didn't like that one, but Halo 5 was peak, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I don't know. I'd be, really, I'd be really curious. I mean... Yeah, I would love to sit. I mean, the idea is, I don't know how you'd feel about it, but I would love to sit and just record even just his, like, 10-minute take. I mean, this is yeah. a guy who's well into his 60s now. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny when he's like, oh, I would love to have an Xbox, but I'm so into my squash ball. I just, I don't know if I have time <laughs> for it. He's retired. Aww. You know, they're both retired, so they're just like, I don't know. And he he admits, too, uh, like you said, we formed a pretty strong bond over Halo. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of always grateful to him for it, but it's ironic that he has like zero desire to continue playing or has any interest in it. It always kind of makes me nervous because I've seen a lot of people in my life. Uh, the, the closest one would be my dad, who who I grew up with them. They loved video games. They're obsessed with video games. I can remember my dad skipping church to play. Um, it was a Madden game on the Atari Jaguar. <laughs> I can remember him playing Quake and Doom. And uh, NASCAR games and Medal of Honor, he would he would always he'd kick us off so he could play. But right. by the nice. time I was about 15, 16, the desire to play games had just kind of left him entirely. He would have been in, he would have been in his mid thirties, mm-hmm. and and even to this day now he just doesn't really touch video games, doesn't really have any interest. And I just I see like a lot of people get that way when they get older. But at the same time, I've also worked with a guy who was seventy and he was playing Skyrim. So yeah. you never know, you know. Yeah, you never know to each your own. It definitely does seem like once people get into a certain age that they, at least in the past, like our parents' generation, like you said, right. they, they seem to turn it off and they turn it off for good. Yeah. Or like, I love your story about uh, your daddy came in and he saw, wanted to see what all the hype was about. I think it was Halo 3. And he's yep. like, looked at it for two minutes and he's like, okay, cool. My dad yeah, did a lot. Stayed, yeah, up exactly. late his, stayed up late, came down in his tidy whities is like waiting. I just start up like, you know, there's the cutscene with, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> did I ever tell they let me choose and everything. And then you get the whole sergeant johnson chief and then yeah. i get into gameplay and I'm, I'm not even walking you know 10 seconds through the forest my dad's like all right pretty cool buddy see you yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. it's like no same nothing. thing my dad would do the same thing like the guy you can tell there's like still a little bit of a flame behind those eyes for video games but not enough to sit and want to play them not enough to reignite the fire no i know right. exactly what you're saying well it's weird i think it's cha- it's just changed so much compared to like the games that were out when you know that were relevant when they were kind of around our oh, age. sure it just yeah. made such a jump like I, I if i look at the games like halo 2 compared to now i don't feel like it's as big of a graphical leap as it was from like some of those early pc games like wolfenstein i know my dad loved playing that that was big for him doom duke nukem yeah. all that kind of stuff so. well i think we've said it before and and this could be an entire episode on its own but it's like for me the the 360 era was kind of like the perfect blend of the future's promises and the past like simplicity you know, because in the yeah. 360, it was like you got every game coming out working. They're 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 ambitious. They're offering new things, new multiplayer modes, wider scope, really cool graphics. You're getting all the benefits of, of the future, but all the simplicity of the past. And then, but if you go back to like Xbox original, it's like okay, I, we'd like to see some more 
done with this. And if you go, but if you go to Xbox One, PS4, you're like, okay, there's there's too much uh, giant downloads, patches, mm-hmm. games not working, over ridiculous price DLC that should have been in the game. Yeah. So like that 360 generation for me is always going to stick sweet out. Spot. It's just yeah. something. No, this here. is a sweet spot. Yeah. And that's a great segue because the first Xbox I got was the Xbox 360 finally. And it nice. wasn't even at launch. It was the arcade one, which I think came out like two years later, the arcade SKU huh. that was $200. Hmm. And the thing didn't even, I don't even think it had Wi-Fi on it. I think I had to buy I that so. Wi-Fi dongle that you would stick uh, in the back. That was yeah. like 100 bucks. Oh my God, I remember that. So did yeah. you buy it yourself or did you get it as a gift? No, I got it as a gift. Yeah. Everything else was on me. It was like, even that Christmas, it was like, all right, you, well, if you want games for this thing, <laughs> you better yeah, save your money. Them. I was like, okay. Yeah. Um, and I think I ended up getting Gears of War and GTA 4. Ooh. Good choices. And Great I choices. think I already had Halo 3 because a buddy had bought like an extra copy or got an extra copy by. Oh, he had the oh, collector's shit. edition with the helmet. And he's like, I'm keeping the helmet. You can have the game. I already got the game. <laughs> okay, cool. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, But I had I had been playing Halo 3 at friends' houses for however long that was between the... I think the arcade came out in December of 08. So it would have been about a full year after Halo 3 came out. Okay. okay. And so I played a lot of Halo 3 with friends and... Uh, same thing as like the, with Halo 1 and 2. I mean, I have great experiences with Halo 2, but with Halo 3, that was the first time it was like I actually got to play with other people that were my age and like sit down and I'll get four players on one screen and that sort of scenario. And for that, what was really mind-blowing was my introduction to Halo 3. I mean, I knew that it was on the horizon. I know I've said this story before, but um, yeah, this was like pre-YouTube. This was like Google Videos days. Uh, <laughs> I see the on G4 on the television, the $800, you know, brick that was our television at the time. Huh. I would come home from school and it would be G4 and it was about E3 time. And the, all they're talking about is that Halo, Halo 3 or first teaser where Cortana's coming up and, you know, Chief walks up to the cliff and all that when they first show the arc portal. Right. And they're, they're just talking about it as like Adam Sessler and all them. They're just constantly, they're like, that's all they can talk about. And I'm like, oh my God, I got to see this thing. They won't play the whole thing on the TV. <laughs> I'm like, just play it. Yeah. I got to see it. I, I had to download the video from the, gosh, from Internet Explorer. And I remember it took probably close to an hour to get all two minutes of it. And it was, again, it was probably like 240p. Uh but man, when that thing finally loaded and I watched it, I cried like a baby. I was so <laughs> hyped. I could not. I mean, I was music. Just like, I'm on board because I loved the story leading up to it. But again, like we were saying before the podcast, when you're young like that, you, you kind of catch bits and, bits and pieces, but you don't mm-hmm. really get the full frame. Uh-huh. So as I got older, then it was like it finally came all into view. I'm like, oh, yeah, he doesn't have Cortana. He did leave her behind. And all these things kind of like clicked. Yeah, I was just old enough. Yeah, just yeah. in that one teaser. And there's things in that teaser like the there's a like a street crossing sign that has a grunt on it. You're like, yep. what the hell? You're like, how much time has passed? You're like, are the covenant living on earth? Like, is it an occupation? Like, there's a lot of I had a lot of questions. I mean, I was really excited. So I was aware that Halo 3 was coming out and I was like on the hype train, even though I didn't have an Xbox. At that point I I had already re upped my PlayStation 2. I got the PlayStation 2 Slim. They sold the uh, they sold like a, remember they went from three cables to five cables or something for HD, but it wasn't really HD. Oh, I think I know like what you're talking pre, about. Yeah, sub HD yeah. component. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Component. There you go. I bought like component cables. I think my dad gave me like a hundred dollars for my birthday one year, and I was like, I'm just gonna turn the PS2 into an HD machine. I bought like <laughs> twenty games because now the games are like, they they can't give them away fast enough since the Xbox has taken off. Yeah. And uh, still didn't have an Xbox until I think it was like I said that following Christmas. And uh, but Halo Three for me was. Um, the most mind-blowing part about it and the thing that stuck with me the most, Halo 3 is probably my favorite Halo. Um, but like Dang. like a lot of people say, I think if you ask me on the day of the week, it depends. I might yeah. say Halo 3 ODST, but for me, I think Halo 3 and Halo 3 ODST kind of roll into the same game. I agree. With Halo 3, my introduction to it was a buddy being like, here, take this controller. And then he's like, now press up on the D-pad or whatever. I'm like, what? And then I turn into a monitor and I can fly around. And he's like, yeah, you can put down tanks and vehicles. I'm like, what? <laughs> Never seen that in a game before. Never, ever. Yeah. It really blew my mind and it got me excited for all the potential and the possibilities. I was going to say, I know that's a big deal for you is, is Forge. That's always been your favorite, or at least it's come to be your favorite, correct? Yeah, definitely. All of it. Tell us a little bit about that. Like, how did that, It was it kind of that moment, that point where it was just like, oh, wow, I can kind of, like, make my own stuff with this. That really yeah, I mean, I think if I was going to go open the door. further back even, I mean, I was a huge Jurassic Park kid, which I'm sure you're well aware. Jurassic no, I'm not. Park, Tell you. me more. <laughs> <laughs> Please, elaborate. <laughs> Watching those movies as a kid, I used to sit down and draw, like, this is how I would design the park. And, like, this is how I would fix the park, you know, make it safer oh, or Jurassic whatever, and add new attractions. World Evolution style. Exactly. That game is a godsend. I mean, that game really scratches that itch. I'm like, Hell yeah. holy smokes. Hell yeah. Jurassic World Evolution 2 sometime soon, I think. Oof, yes. Can't um, wait. So for that, and I used to, I would do that a lot. I would draw Jack and Daxter levels. I would draw like, oh, I think this would be a neat level for this game and stuff as I got older. Um, and I just did a lot of that kind of cartography, just sketching that stuff out. I would buy graph paper and I would buy all the stuff to like really get into it without doing using really 3D cool. software. Mm-hmm. So when somebody finally gave me the tool to do it, that was accessible for a, geez, I don't know, like a 12 year old kid. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, okay, cool. This is where I'm meant to be for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I stuck with it. And I think, um, Halo threes, I had a lot of fun breaking that open. I would do a lot of stuff in that forge mode, even as limited as it was. You, know, you would learn all the different tricks to like phase the blocks and stuff. These kids today, they don't know how easy they got it. I mean, it was a pain in the ass to make anything resembling something that you could do today in Halo 3. Uh, Halo Reach was an extrapolation on that, and Halo 4 was even much so. And Halo 5s is truly the best Forge mode. And for me, it, it was the saving grace of that game. Like uh, the fact that it didn't launch with it, which is a topic that's pretty hot right now. Mm-hmm. The fact that Halo 5 didn't launch with Forge is what really put a thorn in my side because I think we have a similar story for finishing that campaign and where you're like, yeah. wait, that's it? When the yeah. screen goes black, you're like, that's it with yeah. this game? If it had had Forge, I probably would not have sweated as much. Uh, but when Forge finally did come to that game, that's what soaked up the rest of the next two years of gameplay that I would put into it. Well, see, that's, 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 that's one of the reasons I'm really glad to have you on here to talk about that because I've, I've actually talked to several people both online and in just in, in my real life going about life that uh, when they hear that uh, Infinite's not going to launch with Forge, which we'll touch, we'll touch on that more later. I want to talk about your history with Halo now, but when I mention that to them, I've heard people say to me, well, it doesn't really matter, right? Nobody really uses it or you know, that's not really a big deal, right? Or, you know, right. it's a very small amount of people. It's dismissed that. a lot more than And I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, you know, because the, these people that I'm talking to 
are uh, at least in person, you, they're not, they don't have the exposure to Halo that uh, me and Josh do with Sacred Icon. And I'm telling them, I'm like, you know, Forge is a big deal to a lot of people, and it's very important, and it's kind of selfish to to say it's okay because I have my campaign and my multiplayer. As, you know, that, yeah. that's everything's fine as long as I have that. You know, it doesn't matter if you have Forge. It's like that Forge. You need to look at it like the campaign and multiplayer. You need to look at it as another pillar that's mm-hmm. just as important to people. So it's kind of frustrating, but it's nice to have you on here as somebody who like that's kind of like their core pillar, uh, thing that they love. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I mean- don't get me wrong. I love competitive Halo. I'm like we were saying earlier too. I'm I'm so much better as an adult at Halo Three. It's so rewarding. Me too. <laughs> it's, it's like night and day. I remember playing Lone Wolves in 2008 or 2009 and being like just getting my ass kicked left and right and could never progress. But now it's like just on top of the leaderboard every time, just without even without any really trying. You know? Yeah. Hell yeah. But uh, I would say with the with the Forge reveal that it's not launching. It's funny to me because I think in in the past, um, I remember reading a lot of message boards for like Halo Four. And Halo Four had a great Forge mode that it did launch with, uh, and a lot of people in the Forge community I remember would dismiss the fact that the theater mode was missing a lot of features. But Halo Four at that time, I think people forget. It came kind of at a crossroads between when people were making machinima in games versus today a lot of the stuff is just made on Blender or on a 3D tool on the computer. They weren't using the game as the tool necessarily. And then you have Red versus Blue is is today still like kind of a crossover of that, of both those worlds. And even the Forge community, I mean, they didn't know how good they had it. 10 years ago you know but they would say things like well who uses i mean it's such a small group of people that use machinima um and i think the big reason that conversation was in place was because for red versus blue you couldn't unlock the armors right away i don't even think they had you know to make the characters certain characters in that show you need certain armor you need at least certain helmets mm-hmm. you couldn't unlock them right out the gate so it was like well how are they going to make this show or i don't know it was just a conversation that i remember floating around at the time mm-hmm. and there were people in the forge community saying well how many people really use theater and now it's kind of the same thing it's like well <laughs> yeah. now we're going to get theater and people are like well who really uses forge it's a niche within a niche obviously but yeah, I mean, it would be ideal to have it all there at launch. I'm not crying about the fact that it's not there at launch because I, I know that it's going to be spectacular. I've had conversations with Tom French, uh, mostly over Twitter, uh, back when he was the Forge lead for Halo 5, and now he's the multiplayer lead for the entire Halo Infinite. So, And he oh, got nice. the promotion pretty early on, and I think it's because they know that, or 343 probably backstage, they, I think they realized that Halo 5 Saving Grace was that Forge mode for a lot of people. Mm. Just the amount of stuff that you could do. I mean, I don't know how many people would have dropped off of Halo 5 if the customs and the custom maps weren't there. Well, I know definitely having things like Clamber and whatnot was made it a lot more fun when I went to try a lot of my friends' maps. Because I didn't mess around with mm-hmm. Forge too much myself, but I can remember uh, one of my friends, Julian in particular, he would he would always, like every time we'd get on, it was like once a week, he'd... He'd want to show me some new map that he made and want to get my opinions on it, and I'd run around and do stuff. And just being able to, even as a player, have that new maneuverability, which just made it so much more rewarding to see how, I don't know, I, it was like a good playground for me within his uh, mind, if that makes sense. Totally, so was, yeah. Really oh, and I love, I mean, we didn't get as many custom game settings as I would have liked in Halo 5, even with the plethora we got. But you could even do stuff like turn everything off. You could turn off Sprint, which was great. The first map I made in Halo 5 was... Uh, E1 uh, M1 from Doom, mm. the first oh, level. Brian's and like, so I know could, that. 
<laughs> yeah. So just I would make it, and I made it to look like it looked in nineteen ninety what nineteen ninety one or three or whatever. Mm. And uh, so I could just turn off all that all those settings and then just make it so you're stupid fast and just like melted to the floor and just turn you know just turn and burn like you wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So so after Halo three, then so we got ODST four and five. Mm-hmm. Kind of go over. What was your experiences with those? Were you so you sounds like you were happy with the trilogy by the time it ended. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you love ODST. It's up there as one of your favorites. Oh, for then we sure. go into Reach four and five. Where, where what were your thoughts on those games? Where were you kind of feeling with those? I I, I love Reach. I think I loved Reach more when it was new. Um, mm. I didn't get I that. Think sense I agree. Of, yeah, I I yeah. I think a lot of people have come around to realizing like, oh, maybe it was just, but it was so different for that time. But I will say, I was just thinking about this yesterday. When we got that first teaser for Halo Reach, and it was the Remember Reach one where it shows the planet and it turns and everything. Even at that time, I got the sensation that Halo was kind of on uh, on a decline. Where it, it felt like Halo 3 was its peak, right? It felt like that was yeah. the biggest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And then you get this pseudo expansion with Halo 3 ODST. And remember, we had Halo Wars, too. Like, I love Halo Wars, that first yeah, one. I, I love Hell it. yeah. I remember, uh, I think uh, the birthday before that, I got the steel book for that, and I loved it. That was mind-blowing. That felt like a true leap forward for Halo at the time, just with the CG in that no, game. No, absolutely. Yeah, Blurred cinematics are peak. They're nuts. I mean, they were truly nuts for that time. And it was obviously leaps and bounds better than Halo 3s, and only slightly so much more than Halo 3 ODSTs. But that felt like, okay, that's the direction we're going. We're going to get like a, a wider breadth of genre for the Halo titles, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I was expecting it. I mean, you'd heard whispers about the MMO, yeah. Or yeah. Halo uh, 3DS, you know, all these yeah. things. <laughs> it's a weird but time. It was a weird time. It was a really weird time. And I really thought that that was the direction things were going to go. I thought we were going to get all sorts of different Halo titles, Halo RPG and Halo MMO. I mean, and, uh, but anyway, Halo Reach came out. And at that time, I felt like Halo was already in decline, I think, because Call of Duty was just so big. Yeah. I mean, it was... And I and I don't I don't complain. I love the Call of Duty games of that era. One of my top three games is Modern Warfare Two. I mean, I love that game. Oh man, what's the other two? Now you got me curious. Oh <laughs> uh, man, it's got to be it's got to be Halo Three. Okay. And Modern Warfare Two. And you put me on the spot. No, you're good. <laughs> it's tough. Oh, Ours, man. Brian and I just change all the time. I was kind of wondering if Jack and Dexter. That's was what up I was wondering too. If it was up there. Yeah. yeah, I love those Jack and Dexter games, but it's been so long. I guess I would. I would probably say Jack Two. Yeah, Jack Two has got to be in the top three because yeah. it's just. And again, it came around such a close time, like an impressionable time. That's why I hesitate to say something from when you're really young because you're like, well, yeah, you were. Everything was amazing. I mean, there's movies that are terrible that you see when you're a kid. You're like, this is the best wow. thing ever. Yeah. See, I, yeah, I love the whole Jack trilogy, but Jack 2's difficulty is one of the most broken things I've ever experienced. Oh, it's not. It, it makes me want to pull my hair out. How it's <laughs> it's basically Josh. It's basically like they give you Jack two. It'll be give you some big, long, drawn out mission, mm-hmm. and then they introduce something that is near impossible to predict. You die, and then instead of giving you a checkpoint, they're just like redo the entire mission. Yeah, and it's just and it sometimes it'll be that happening three or four times within one mission where you're like bullshit thing okay i got past i figured that one out, i got past it and you're mm-hmm. like three steps further another bullshit thing and it's just like don't redo the whole mission i thought and some it, of the it, checkpoints can be bad in halo when you feel like you've made oh it, yeah what it's, you should have made it through like two or three checkpoints and you're like way back at this one yeah Sounds i think like the worst I one i can remember is there's oh, in jack shit. two there's like a race on a bike against one of the guys oh, in the end. Yeah. and that that mission is just brutal 
Um, that's nuts. And that, it's over there it's like, crazy, yep. too. I guess that, that game, yeah, you're right. It's totally brutal in its difficulty. But it's kind of a brutal game to be a sequel to a game that was marketed for kids. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's the first a lot game of is like, give this to your child. The second game is like, if you're 35 and you're probably still going to pull your hair out. Uh, oh, for sure. With oh, it. Uh, but no, well, like, thematically, too, is like the cops will just straight murk you and people oh, straight yeah. up die. There's slaves in that game. You're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and, and every time out, like, I die, after. every time I die, Dax would get on my face and complain about my death. And I'm like, I want to come in here. And- <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to skin you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, you made a great point that I think we've iterated before that, you know, Halo 3 was the peak and everything. Regardless of the quality of Halo, it was still a decline afterwards. Uh, yes. I remember being in, the, I've said this in the podcast before, I remember being in a lunch line at school. I was 15. Uh, Halo 3 had just come out and there's a couple kids in front of me in line and they were talking about Call of Duty, this new Call of Duty called Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare. And they were talking about how it's going to blow Halo out of the water. It's going to be bigger than Halo. I remember being in line behind them and thinking, those kids are idiots because we've already had several Call of Duties that came nowhere near Halo. What makes them think Modern Warfare is going to be any different? Apparently, they knew something that I didn't because that game came out and completely dominated the market. And then, of course, uh, you know, ODST didn't really have multiplayer. It was more of an expansion. So when that year came by, it was kind of, it wasn't really in the conversation, despite ODST being a great game. And then you get to Reach. And Reach did actually have a great player base. It was it was near the top of the charts for Xbox Live back in the day, but it was nowhere near Call of Duty. And it and it, you'd seen some of the franchise fatigue combined with the fact that Reach wasn't like fair competitive with its armor abilities and all that yeah. stuff. So it was kind of a, a a weak. It was it was a weak moment for for Halo and it's like it's it's popularity. But at the same time, it was kind of the perfect time for Bungie to bow out because it was like oh, yeah. they kind of they kind of got out at a great time when they kind of capitalized on its success and then moved on. And then now Destiny is this huge thing. And then you have 343 trying to uh, build Halo, understand Halo, and move Halo forward when it's already less relevant. And then they're yeah. already introducing their new concepts and they're a new developer. Uh, so it's just a tough thing. So, so for you then... Uh, were you nervous for a new company making Halo 4? Were you hyped when you saw Halo 4's trailer? Where were you on that? I was pretty split. I was uh, I was thrilled that a company was put up to take over Halo, mm-hmm. like take the reins. I mean, I thought that showed a lot of value. It, it made me feel like, okay, this thing's not going to die. Yeah. You know, this is really, somebody's going to take this thing and they're going to herald it forward. And that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. I mean, that promise was really exciting. And then it kind of only reared its head in the form of books right away. I I was knee deep into the Halo books at that point, and I think I was reading Halo Evolutions. I think that's the one with all the short stories. Nice, nice. Yeah. And uh, I love every little short story in there. They're all so unique. But I think that might have been the first novel right after three four three took over. And I hadn't even realized that this exchange had taken place until I looked at the back of the book and it said three for three so industries. Three. I'm like, what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this isn't a bungee because I had re- I had just finished uh, Contact Harvest and that one says bungee instead of three. So I was like, wait, who's three for three? And then you look it up and you're like, holy shit, no smokes. Um, so I was I was nervous um, knowing it wasn't bungee and then bungee was out there making some. This was the long pause before Destiny one, so they made some like mobile game with pirates in it or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Crimson something. Yeah, and so you're wow. like, all right, well I maybe remember that. Holy shit! Yeah, this was God. What was that like? 2011. Yeah, they 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 announced like right. They basically were talking about how you know they were passing Halo over to three four three, all their assets, all their data, and then they were gonna go dark. 
but they also announced this thing called Bungie Aerospace, which was supposed to be Bungie helping oh, yeah. uh, indie developers get out there. But after they announced it, they helped one game. It was some pirate game called Crimson Something. I can't remember what it was. And then after that, the Bungie Aerospace thing, to my knowledge, just kind of died. It never went anywhere. Yeah, I don't think that the, anything came from that after the fact. Man, yeah. that's crazy. And then they were dark for years. And then what sucks is I think it was like six to eight months before they came out of the darkness. Uh, it leaked. Before they the came out of the called Destiny. <laughs> yeah, I remember Destiny, the name got leaked. And people were like, what kind of corny shit is this? Yeah. But it sounded, don't well, get me wrong. I love it, Destiny. No, that's what's, what's funny is because like the same thing with Halo is like Halo is that a girls game is that like a, is that like a Barbie game <laughs> yeah you know? and, and they, but they went with it and then Destiny it was like Destiny it was Destiny's child like I don't want to play that <laughs> and you get yeah, further along and now you look at Destiny and you're like that's badass like they've made it cool you know man oh, something sure. I gotta I gotta bring up though you guys made me think about it is well, I mean what the hell was it that had people so collectively anticipating Modern Warfare because I remember that game. Yeah, being promoted, and then I remember asking my mom. I was like, "Hey, can you help me get this game?" Because all my friends were really excited for it. And then I remember playing it, and I couldn't ever get them like off of that game to play Gears or play Halo or mm-hmm. whatever. And I had fun playing it. It wasn't as much my thing, but like I could see the shift changing. But at the yeah. same time, it felt like it's not a slight to Call of Duty, but it didn't feel like earned. Like with Halo Three being feeling like the biggest, you know, the peak of Halo in a sense, it felt like you built up to that. Whereas for me, it was just there was all these different Call of Duty games and stuff, and then suddenly Modern Warfare is in this new direction. Mm-hmm. But it had just hype. No, um, that's a good point. I, I don't know if they advertised Modern Warfare super well. I think it advertised itself, right? I think a lot Probably of people right. who grew up, I mean, this was when we had just entered the war in Iraq. This is a one-off funny story, but I learned how to use the remote control for the television. Mm-hmm. The same morning that George Bush is giving a speech about how we're going to go to war. I was like, what? <laughs> it's just oh, like wow. I turn on the TV and I'm like, what's going on exactly, Dad? We're going to war? Like, I had no idea. What a day. Um, oh, man. I think that game advertised itself because of its setting. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people were growing up looking at that, that maybe were interested in joining the military, who were still too young to join the military. Mm-hmm. And then this game comes out that's kind of an analog for it, and it's an accessible one at that. People know how to play first-person shooters because of Halo. And uh, I think that's really what it is. I know tons Probably of right. people who join the military. You, you hear about people joining the military for Halo, but a more obvious example is people join the military because of Call of Duty. I think specifically that one. Yeah. I, I just I remember... Think you're, I think you're ahead. dead on. Um, I think you are, too. I know... I think people were looking forward to playing a game that was set in current day. You know what I mean? Because the prior Call of Duties were set in the past. Halo was set in the future. And it it just capitalized on everything that was going on in the world. And I I also now, even today, I hear it. I hear it so common. It's always crazy how much people say it. But when I talk to people who love Call of Duty and don't like Halo, the thing they always tell me is, I don't like that futuristic shit. That's what they always (laughs) say to me. Like, I I don't like how there's... Sticky grenades and their yeah. shields. Oh my and stuff. god! The- Boy, were they in for a surprise? Only like eight years later. <laughs> oh, are you talking about like uh, Advanced Warfare Call of Duty? Or yeah, I mean, as yeah. things went on, it was like yeah. they ended up with Halo by the end of it. And those same people, I'll ask him, "What was your least favorite Call of Duty?" And they'll always pick out the futuristic ones. I'm like, I, I guess I, it's a little, I, it's hard for me to get why the future is so awful for these people. Right. But people really resonate with the modern stuff. And I've even heard people say, you know, they don't like the old stuff either. They, they just want to stick in the modern era. I think the other thing too, which would have more been from pre, I think the main reason is what Brent said. I think that's the number one, absolutely the reason. But the other thing that would have been more in previews, but contributed to it is that 
the game was advertising you having these loadouts and picking your own guns oh, yeah. and things to start with, which I guess to take at that the, for at granted, the time, all we knew point. was Halo and, and Quake and Unreal Tournament and stuff where it was just arena shooters, which is funny because the promise of Call of Duty was we can get rid of we can we can get away from these arena shooters. Mm-hmm. And then now we're living in a time where it's like where people are like promising we can go back and people are like, Yes, I want arena shooters, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's just funny how the cycle goes over and over again. It comes know? and goes, it comes and goes. I yeah, it's definitely it's definitely that I think I mean I don't know for sure, but I would think that's a huge reason. The loadouts, the the setting for a lot of people growing up with the war in Iraq and then we were transitioning into the war in Afghanistan, which is finally coming to a close all these years later. Mm-hmm. And um uh, that and then the game was actually good, and it had a lot of shock. I think when that and I remember going again, uh, go over to a cousin's house for Christmas, and he's playing. I'm like, "What's Modern Warfare?" He's like, "You got to check this out." And sure enough, he did end up joining the Marine Corps, him oh, and his huh. brother. Okay. Um, only some years after, uh, and we get to the part, and I got to experience with him for the first time. He didn't even he had just been playing multiplayer, but playing through that campaign when the uh, nuke goes off there in the Middle East. I mean, that from a first person's perspective, it was mind blowing for the first time. Now they use it when every time you watch a YouTube video about Call of Duty, they use that scene. So it's played out the death. But <laughs> in the moment on that hardware and that yeah. fidelity at that time, I mean, it was like, holy, like, holy hell, <laughs> this game's going places. Like, it's not just a threat of a nuke. It really did happen. And now, you know, the Russians are, it's like you're at the footsteps of World War Three. I mean, it was well, a great cool story to- for its time. Yeah, I was gonna say it's cool to hear that actually because that kind of fills in blanks for me because I just remember it was like suddenly on the radar everywhere. Like I felt like Call of Duties were popular, but mm-hmm. at the time you had the Medal of Honor series too, which was really big. And then it seemed like right. that just dipped, and Call of Duty was like, "I'm taking over." And then it came in and did mm-hmm. that. And then on the Halo side, for me, it was so weird because I kind of mentally checked out after Halo Three because I felt like, yes, I want more. But it also, at the time, I wasn't self-aware enough to realize, like, this may actually get sequels. I just went into that game thinking it seemed like the end. And uh, I thought Bungie was just kind of capping it off there. So then when, you know, ODST gets announced and then all the other ones later on, it felt like it it was on this trajectory of, like, Halo is normal now. Like, Halo 3 was the final game for me that, like, solidified Mm -hmm. this as, like, a normal, popular pop culture franchise. You know, it's like... After the Star Wars, the original Star Wars trilogy, as, after that came out, as much as I love the prequels, it was already a defined thing by that third one, you know, that it was just stable and it was out there in people's consciousness. So it's like, even though people were super excited for Star Wars, getting more of them and everything, it was never quite going to hit the way that the new ones or the original ones did. So I don't know. I don't know. It just still, yeah. So that was weird for me. I mean, they, they still did. But um, especially for five, for me, the the hype I had going into five was just insane. But uh, yeah, I'm with you on five, too. But I I guess I would add that um, I think and this is probably not this is an unpopular opinion, but and I love Halo 3 ODST. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But I think the only reason that Bungie was able to make a game like that is because of the success of the original trilogy. And I think after that, there was this crucial moment. And this happens a lot. It happens a lot in the games industry. A game gets super big. And then they kind of rest on their laurels, and that's okay. I think you're able to experiment and make some interesting things. You can toss the IP over to Ensemble, who doesn't exist anymore. I think they make uh, League of Legends content. Mm-hmm. 
they uh you know you can toss it over and they can make a they can make a rts game right and then uh we'll put out a like an expansion only story content and it'll have this new mode in there firefight which was like an answer to horde mode and but um yeah they allowed them to experiment a little bit and then all the while they're making halo reach and i think it's because you know they have to contractually and then they experiment in that title as well Mm -hmm. and i I think you've said it before brian and probably you as well josh it's like then they kind of add some sprint and equipment to that game and it seems almost like i don't know if that was in the design originally for that game i don't think it was I i think that was kind of an answer to the growing popularity of call of duty for almost for certain so it was this time where they were able to experiment, and we got some really great content out of it. A lot of great books. I mean, uh, there was a Halo Legends. The anime came out at this time. I mean, there was a lot of experimentation going on with the IP that they were able to make because of the success of just the three solid baseline games. But in that time that they experimented, I think they really honed and sharpened the dedicated fan base, but they lost a lot of people that were just, they were there casually year in and year out to call of duty and then by the time you get halo reach it's only been three years since halo 3 they've lost a lot of that market capture and now they have to kind of copy and mimic some things that call of duty did just to maintain some amount of relevancy and people still came for the halo name of course but i think if it didn't have some of that stuff that brought it more in parallel to what now we call a modern shooter Mm -hmm. uh I don't know how successful it would have been. I don't know how many kids it would have captured. I mean, now it's like we're living in the era of the reach kid is now growing into an adult. They're kind of graduating high school. Crazy. Yeah, it's really nuts. I don't know how many of those kids it would have captured had it not had things like sprint and equipment and loadouts. I think you're dead on. I think, I mean, you see that you see that get pushed further with Halo 4 mm-hmm. to its detriment because with Halo 4, oh, yeah. it was like a, at that point they had pushed the the series closer to Call of Duty with loadouts and ordnance drops and, and dedicated sprints and all that stuff. And I think with Halo 4, it was just, uh, it was that, it was a, even though I, you know, I love Halo 4 mainly for that story. I love Halo 4, but I think it, it pushed the dedicated Halo fans too far outside of their comfort zone and did little to nothing to bring in the, the Call of Duty fans. So you just kind of lost both. And then that's why you're sitting with the player base that was just, non-existent after a very short yeah. time well i think there's something to be said about i mean maybe i'm the only one that feels this way but something to be said about swat because i remember people just my friend group back in the like land day just loved swat and oh, yeah. i didn't like i didn't hate it i played it and i'd have fun but it like wasn't one of my favorite aspects of halo was like the reversal system the idea of having shields and you can it gives you so much more player agency and how you can turn the battle around even just against a person or you know, you're getting shot by one person, his friends roll up, but you turn around with those rockets and boom, and suddenly you're rolling through them and they have to see you just walking past and it's frustrating on that respawn screen. Well, you know, I don't get that in SWAT. But then I think of like Call of Duty, how Call of Duty is more like run and gun and it kind of has that same flow of like there's no shield mm-hmm. or anything. It's more grounded in realism. And uh, seeing that take off and then, you know, you get to something like Halo 4 when I got into it, when I finally tried it out and I was like, the mechanic, mechanic-wise, mechanic it played so much more like call of duty for me not saying that's objectively true but uh for me it did and i was like man i just i feel like everything's telling me i should really like call of duty but i just don't as much i love halo so it was <laughs> yeah. really a a weird rock and a hard place because it's like i don't have any reason to to not like call of duty but i i couldn't quite figure out where i stood on halo 4 for a long time so so what was your impression of halo 4 then when after you played it brent overall 
Uh, from a lore perspective, I loved it. I was like, again, the same thing. I was like, this, this is the promise of future Halos that they're going to get really into the shit with the lore. <laughs> I'm, I'm on board 100%. Yeah. Hell yeah. G- gameplay wise. And uh, I didn't even realize at the time it's kind of like uh, some you hear some people say it's like they finished something and they're like, oh, I'm not sure if I liked that. You get so blinded by your hype leading up to it. You're like, of course, I'm going to love this. It's just it's a natural conclusion to things. I had the same experience in Halo 5. With Halo 4, it was a similar thing where it's like I got to the end of it, and I'm like, man, I really liked a lot of that, but I don't know if I loved it. I don't know if I really loved it. And I didn't even have as much of a visceral reaction to Cortana dying as I thought I was going to have at the end of that game. I mean, I was excited with the epilogue uh, revealing that the didact, at least we thought at the time, was not composed, and then he'd be coming back. I thought this was going to be our main villain. I think he will be again one day. Um but uh, that promise, that, I mean, I, going back to Earth, there's a lot to really like thematically in Halo 4. But the, that art style, I think, was the secret thing that it didn't occur to me at the time playing it that mm-hmm. would be the thing that would kind of drive me away from it. It was too jarring, too sudden. Mm-hmm. And Halo Reach experimented, but like it had its grounds in everything in that game. You look at it and you go, this is a prototype for something we've gotten in, in a later Halo or... Hmm. You know, on the timeline of later Halo, but I'm in the, the same previous boat, titles. Yep. Yeah, so you see this foundation. It's almost like it's like they reduced everything down from what it originally was. In Halo 4, it, they didn't extrapolate on the things that were already there. They just made wholly different things. Like the forward unto Dawn itself is like an entirely different ship. It's not even the hmm. same ship. It looks nothing like it. Yeah. Uh, when, you, when I was playing that at the age of, uh, I don't know, 16, I guess I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I think, uh, yeah, I was like 18, maybe turning 18. When I played that, I, I don't think I realized how jarring that art style swap was until later on. And then I started seeing people argue about it. Uh, and it, it really clicked. I'm like, that is probably the biggest thing that turned me off of that game. And I bounced off a of halo four fast, like way faster than any previous halo, just from the multiplayer alone. I dug it. And I liked it. I liked call of duties, but like you said, Brian, I don't think it was enough call of duty to get someone who enjoyed Call of Duty to stick around. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I mean, I think many people echo all the same statements that you just made about Halo 4. I think those are very common complaints and issues. I think for me, it's weird. I, I saw, a, you know, we've had Actman on here before. I saw a tweet from him Love that him. I don't agree with, but I still like I still like the tweet because it made me think. He His tweet was, uh, I can believe you enjoyed the story of Halo 4, but you, it's impossible to convince me you enjoyed the gameplay. Which I don't agree with the tweet because I'm like, come on, people can like the gameplay. I get that. Sure. But the reason that that tweet stuck out to me is because I'm like, you know, just just in the way you just said where you don't really realize things in the moment because of the hype, as all this time has passed, if I look back at the Halo games, um, Halo 4's gameplay is, is, is kind of the kind of probably the weakest for me of the whole series. And it's weird because I it feels good and it's fun yeah. and I didn't notice it in the time, but like... There's something about, like, if I go back to Halo... Now, obviously, Halo 1 is a little archaic, and that's just because of its age. But if I go back to Halo 2 or 3, uh, or even Reach, it just kind of feels like I'm putting my feet into comfortable shoes, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I play Halo 4... <laughs> putting on like, them slippers? Yeah, yeah. I play Halo 4, and I'm like, eh, you know, it, I don't get that feeling, you know? And I even right. get it more from Halo 5 uh, than I do 4. Um, something about 4 just kind of felt a little... I don't know, a little off, and I and so when people bring that up, you know, I, I think I, I resonate with it completely. 
Yeah. I don't know how much of that is. And I think even at the time, speaking of dads and underwear coming to see that <laughs> opening cutscene in Halo 4, when the fidelity of that of that cutscene is, is truly striking. And my dad came to, he's like, all right, let's see what the hype about. Halo 4 was the only one of the Halos that I got to go to a launch like party for mm. oh, at a okay. GameStop. I was in that, and I had kind of arranged most of it. I remember I like drew blue fours on my cheeks and stuff. Oh, and my youngest dope, sister, right? who my youngest sister, the same one who was like two when Halo one came out, uh, she had grown up playing with me on the couch. So she was like, by the time Halo four came out, she's 12. She's like, I'm, I'm on board. I'm going to go sit with you. Oh. We're going to go wait for this game. Uh -huh. That's cool. So, I mean, I was ready for it. Just on the fact that alone that it was a Halo and sitting in front of a GameStop and people showed up to that GameStop. I remember it was it had to be at least a hundred people waiting in line for Halo Four. And this is not a big city. This is I grew up in a small town called Salinas. It's like a farm town okay. here in California. And uh, there's people like, oh, thanks for holding my spot. I mean, more people are coming closer to midnight. There's pizza and all sorts of stuff going on. They're running contests, and I mean, it was a big deal. It was a huge launch for Halo Four. Where was I going with all that? I kind of lost my spot. But oh, the opening oh, cutscene to that game is super cinematic. And again, it gets you right. Right away, you're like, if you had just played the games, you're like, why is Master Chief a kid? And you're like, what? This oh. is the chief. And who's Dr. Halsey? There's a lot of story beats that were new to a lot of people. I would say the majority of Halo fans at that point. But it sets itself up to be really cinematic. And then you play that first level. And I kind of like them. But there's quick time events. And I think... The game does a lot for you. Uh, Corey talked about this, too, when he was on Halo 2's Melee. Kind of, it, it takes away some of your agency. I mm -hmm. think Halo 4 does a lot of that, too. And I don't know if it's just because there's a lot of art on top of an, a pre-existing engine in that game. It's, it's the same engine that made Halo 3 and made Halo Reach, right? It's just it's been mm -hmm. retooled. It had a whole new group of people working in that engine. So they didn't know exactly maybe quite how to make it feel like a Halo game. But then they slapped a lot of art on top of, you know, the existing structures of those previous Halos as well. And I think it kind of made things seem clunky, like the BR doesn't seem quite right. It doesn't seem quite as snappy. The nice. AR seems like spraying a hose a little bit. Like it's, it's kind of like you just aim it in any direction and it just wants to do its own thing. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of weird stuff. And then even just the movement in there too, I think when it, when it takes you and throws you into a quick time event or the assassination or something, it is really snappy. It's a, it's a pre-rendered little thing, but the rest of the movement in that game, it just, yeah, you're right, Brian. I think it just fell off. It felt like floaty. I think people yeah. describe bad Mario games as being kind of floaty. You don't have a lot of precision in your movement. I think Halo four felt that way for me. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I completely agree. So where does that, where does that put you for Halo five? Are you getting hyped for Halo five? When Super hyped. Out? Yeah, I was I was yeah. I was down to the ground hyped. Um, with the beta just to launch for that game, when they show the Spartans Ooh. at that menu standing over that like holodeck table, yeah, I was like, oh my god, we're gonna like, are we gonna get to like walk around the spaceship, like walk around the Infinity and stuff? Like I was already hyped from that, and I was good at it. Like you guys have said in the past, you know, pretty good in the beta. Um, stayed pretty good with the with the base game, but. Man, that campaign, dude. I don't, <laughs> just like I know you guys have said in the past, I mean, it it put like a nail in the coffin for Halo for me for a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I I've I'm I've stand I stand by it. I, I know some people have come to agree with me, other people are just like, "No, nah, Brian, you're wrong." But <laughs> I I think the Halo 5 campaign itself is pretty well done. 
and pretty fun. It's the story that is the issue. Right. It's the, yeah, um, you're right. I should clarify. It's the story. I, the, the places you go in that campaign are great. The gameplay itself, I think, is great. It has some of the largest set pieces in any Halo. Think, like I'm saying Halios, I think about like fighting the wraiths across mm-hmm. this big canyon and stuff. It's huge. It really is huge, and it goes places. It's the most galaxy-spanning of those campaigns. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, I was. I think that's the thing is for most people, by the time you get to Halo 5, it was if you're a story person, nail in the coffin. If you're a multiplayer person who wanted a classic Halo experience. Because there's two ways to look at it. Halo 5 offered a classic Halo experience if what you're talking about is arena-style even starts, right. you know, power weapons on map. It does have a classic Halo in that in that aspect. But as far as how it feels to play it, it doesn't play like a classic Halo. It doesn't feel like a classic Halo. So no. if you've got classic uh, Halo multiplayer fans, they're lost. If you have story fans, they're lost. I mean, you even see somebody like Haruspis we've had on so many times mm-hmm. uh, who is just so knee-deep in that uh, the lore and, and always has great perspectives for why things are the way they are, and he's really on track with that. But then he gets to Halo 5, and his response is also like, I can't accept this. I, there's nowhere for this to go. This is awful. This is, And even today, yeah. after he's level-headed out, he's, his head's got leveled out a lot more, you still see him say something on Twitter about, you know, we all remember the giant mistake the created issue was. You know, he'll still say that because it was right. just very, it was truly just a really bad, I mean, there's, there's somebody out there listening who yeah. loved that story. And well, you're let me talk about it real opinion, quick. But for go ahead. No, you're good, yeah. The created move, I actually super dug. Like, okay. I hated that Cortana oh, was at the helm of it, but it makes sense. I was actually really looking forward to it. I was looking forward to upcoming Halo games being like, uh, like an occupation. Every planet is like an occupation, and you're trying to liberate these colonies. And it forces, what's really cool about that, if they had seen it through, which we've yet to see whether or not they do, is you can imagine the galaxy now... All of these races that fought each other for 30 years prior, now they're kind of like stuck together because there's this huge police force, this this authoritarian Cortana police force guarding the galaxy. She's not letting any conflict get through. Uh, And we've only just seen that the banished are able to do what they're doing because they're kind of at the outer extremities of the galaxy. Mm -hmm. But I think the threat of the Guardians is even though I think they're uglier than hell, I think they're really poorly designed <laughs> there. The threat is real. I think is really impressive and, and actually scary. I mean, to imagine like you're living on a world, you can't get off. Like you, yeah. and to put that in perspective, it would be like here on earth, it'd be like you're living in a city. You can't get off that galaxy is so interconnected with travel in between those worlds that if, I mean, it's like, you're just stuck. It's crazy. It, it makes me think of like a Nazi occupation of like yeah. France or something. Yeah. But it, you, instead, you have these cold malice robots and Prometheans who are now taken over by, by human AI. I mean, it, it's it's really interesting. It could have really gone places. I think a lot of the concept art for Halo Five and some of the stuff that came out years later, showing Halo Five, it shows that the Master Chief fighting robots, a lot of a lot of drones and robots and stuff. And I think that's where they wanted to take it. And I I try to remind people that. Uh, Frank O'Connor, he wrote a short story called Saint's Testimony. Mm-hmm. I think it came out in like 20, 2012, maybe, or 2013. And he had a lot to do, I think, with the story moving forward through Halo 5. And when they 
I think a lot of the impressions of the didact and stuff maybe weren't as well received as 343 would have liked in Halo 4. And I mm-hmm. think that's why they killed him in comic books, like basically shoved him under the rug. Mm-hmm. And I think Frank O'Connor kind of stepped in and was like, you know, hey, I have this great idea that he had already been brewing for years. I mean, he's been with Halo since kind of the beginning, right? This is like, he's a, what are they, the wise old ancients? Or grizzled, grizzled, ancients. grizzled ancients. Yeah, the yeah. grizzled ancients. <laughs> he's got a lot of clout in that company, and he steps forward, and he says, you know, I have this great idea for this story. You know, let's, why don't we try taking it over here? It gives us a good way to bring Cortana back. We can really blow people's minds by making her evil. He just blew their minds in the wrong way, unfortunately. <laughs> and uh, and she's not even really evil. And I, I've heard that said, too, before. It's like, if anything, she's she's just benevolent with force. She wants to protect the galaxy. She's she's aware of the entire history, history of the Milky Way galaxy down to the precursors and forerunners. She sees how this conflict keeps coming up again and again and again. And she's finally in this position to put the kibosh on it for good. And so she takes it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot you could do with that story. And so that promise was exciting. I just think the execution was poor. And there's some, Cortana's kind of creepy at the end of Halo 5 when she says, uh, she's like a, the hologram of hers at the, in the captain's deck of the infinity. And they're all freaking out and they're trying to escape that, that guardian. The look in her eye when she says, uh, uh, the what is it? The do, the domain is open and the created art. She looks like a crazy ex girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, she looks her. nuts. <laughs> yeah. She looks truly nuts. You know, it's funny. I just, I just made the weirdest like equivalent like equivalency ever. I, you just reminded me of Game of Thrones because so what mm-hmm. you're saying is with with Cortana, you know, she she's this benevolent force where she knows all the history of the Milky Way galaxy and can make decisions based off that going forward. That's kind of how Game of Thrones ended with uh, Bran the Broken, the oh, Three-Eyed yeah. Raven. Uh, Bran becomes the king of, of Westeros, um, of, this, of the Seven Kingdoms. And the reason he's such a good king is because he has all knowledge mm-hmm. of the past and what's happened in every scenario. So therefore, he can be a good ruler going forward. So in the case of Game of Thrones, it kind of worked. Uh, Cortana, though, it was definitely spun as a as a negative thing. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I think a lot of people took it negative. I would be uh, I would be interested to see how O'Connor would have wrapped that up, and I don't think we'll ever get it now, which is unfortunate. I'm glad they're not totally abandoning it for Halo Infinite, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, I thought I, mean, I got I did get excited for the promise of what the created that created storyline yeah. was going to take us. So what was what was the worst part of the story for you then? Of five, you pick one thing. Oh man, I mean, she's no wrong answer. <laughs> yeah, there's I know. Uh I guess the the huge thing that still bugs me is like the cutscenes uh they cut so soon. You're like I love you, you for saying it? that. Yeah, dude. There's no direction to this. It's just like real quick little quips. It's like why'd you even get Nathan Fillion in here if you're only going to use him like 2 seconds? Yep. Every time you show him. Um Yeah, just when it seems that. like it's getting just, good. It didn't feel like a climactic ending to that game. If they were trying to make it be like a Halo 2 uh, cliffhanger, I feel like, and a lot of people disagree, but I feel like the cliffhanger in Halo 2 is actually pretty satisfying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it reveals a lot to people, right? And Halo 5's cliffhanger, if, if you're talking about the legendary ending where you see that Cortana has taken Zeta Halo, right? Um and it's funny, you guys had uh, Luke on a couple weeks ago, too, and I remember his video forever ago being like, that's Zeta Halo. And and my group of friends, too, after watching that, I remember us hypothesizing that it was Zeta Halo way back when. And then when he came out and made that video, and then for it all to be confirmed, it, it was super rewarding. 
yeah. Um, but I think that's it's an okay cliffhanger. But the what the base game leaves you off on with uh, Doctor Halsey saying took you long enough, and then cut the black, and that's it. Uh, dude, the big it's, oof. It's, it's a huge oof. I mean, you can't believe it. You really can't buy it in the moment. You're like, surely there's another level after this, right? You no, only I, just I, got the Arbiter I, and the Chief back together. It, you know, Locke and the Chief have only just gotten back together. All these levels were Locke and not Chief. I mean, yeah. That's what it was bothered bad. me the most, too, man, was just it felt like every time the, the, the exposition was trying to get, starting mm-hmm. to get somewhere, then it just cuts to black. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, what what am I like? Why are you? This is it. Just they felt they looked great. I thought the yeah. dialogue was good, but it just ended up feeling half baked in execution because it would just end so abruptly every time. And like you said, the ending with that took you long enough. As I'm watching that, I'm like, I was hoping throughout the whole campaign that mm-hmm. I was finally going to get to see Chief with Halsey because I you know reading that in the books and then getting up to yeah. the you know all the different games and where it, there's there there are different points and I'm like are we finally going to get to see them like just meet and actually talk? And then right. it does. And she says that and it ends. And I'm like shaking my head again. Oh, yeah. SpaghettiOs. What are you guys doing? Uh, yeah, it was nuts. That's why. I think, um, go ahead. Go ahead. Brian. Go, go, well, I was just going to say though, you know, the book, um, is it, is it the, is the one that takes place after Halo five? Is it bad blood or new blood? Yeah. I think that was the first one after Halo five, bad, bad blood. Josh, you should sometime, I don't know when you're going to have time probably, maybe if you get it from the library or something, but just read like the first chapter or two. Okay. Of bad blood because it's so satisfying after what we just talked about. You play Halo Five yeah. and there's just no exposition, and the game just ends. Okay. Well, bad blood, it starts the second Halo Five ends and it wraps it up for you. It, it tells you what those characters did, where they go, what's happening. It, it finishes Halo Five story in the first chapter. A book two. does that. The game, yeah, did. and it's so but it's <laughs> right. Satisfying. Yeah, a book does that. Not yeah. hating yeah, on the book so though. At least that to did. read it though because it is like this is more. Then I Ugh. knew I could get like when I opened the book and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm finishing Halo Five right now. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah in a book. Yeah, like almost a year later. Or oh man. Is I else? think for for me in Halo Five, like the the moment I realized even three four three doesn't give a shit about this stuff is when um, there's a few moments, but I would say um, the beginning beginning where. Halsey's having that dialogue with herself and she's like, you know, at the end of this, they're going to kill us both. It's like, who are you talking to? Like, <laughs> they're like, who are, who are you talking to? Yeah. And then it doesn't pay off at all. I mean, I, I would like for it to pay off at some point, but it's like, what? I don't get it. It didn't seem and like it had anything it, to do with the game. And zero, zero. And then um, they set up a lot of interesting stuff. Doesn't pay off at all. And I would say by the end of the game, then there's that weird like a zoo of creatures where Cortana is. You remember, you know what I'm talking about? There's yeah. Like, and it's like, okay, this is like arcade. This is like Ratchet and Clank arcade. Like, <laughs> here, look at the enemies, and you can like press a button and they'll talk or whatever. It's like, okay, I don't, I have no idea what you guys are doing with this game. And that's the last level of the game. They take a moment to have you walk around a zoo. It's like, yeah. what? Do you know what he's talking? Do you remember what he's talking about, Josh? Vaguely, vaguely, I remember. Yeah, there's yeah. like little, ca- there little see-through cages of, of like, there's a Promethean Knight, there's a Grunt, there's a Crawler. Yeah, yeah I va- I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Something I was going to ask you though, Brent, is like. Well, even you, Brian, because I I always forget about Breakout. When you mentioned earlier the hollow kind of mm-hmm. t- the deck and everything that they were on, I just remember them promoting the shit out of Breakout. That was like yeah. really the first look into multiplayer. And I remember playing that and thinking it was fun, but it wouldn't be something I stuck around with because I wanted the core multiplayer. Right. But then that didn't really take off to a point within its lifespan. It started to get phased very quickly to the back burner, I feel like. Yeah. No one... 
I feel like break barely anyone remembers Breakout now. And then you had Warzone as well. How did you feel about Breakout and Warzone? Just even now, I, I remember really. I, I'm with you. I, I felt like they had marketed Breakout to be like this. Uh, this would be what MLG is for Halo Five. It's going to be Breakout. I, I dug it. It had a weird sports angle to it, yep. and I I thought it was going to be like that was going to be the highlight of the multiplayer. But you're right, people just fell off of it. I knew people that were super knee deep in it. Like that's all they would play, and they got super good at it. And it is fun. I mean, I think. Um, I think if you really want to play some fun breakout, go play Rainbow Six Siege. Like that's kind of the, <laughs> it's like the same level of intensity for a multiplayer yeah. match. Hell yeah! But that's all you kind of had, right? At launch, you had that, and then you had the arena modes, and uh, there was no BTP yet. And then when we got BTP, I mean, I I love Forge. Don't get me wrong, and I know a lot of the guys that made those Forge maps for that, but it's not the same. We should have gotten. The development time that went into the Warzone maps, they should have at least converted those Warzone maps into BTB maps. I don't know. I mean, I just, that's what I, that's how I felt. They could have cut that. That would have been nice. But, it would have been preferable to the yeah. Forge BTBs that I didn't. Well, because your favorite way. multiplayer Brian aspect is BTB, right? Like in terms of modes and stuff. I mean, actually, no, Josh. I think it's probably 4v4 Arena. Oh, shit. It's my favorite. That's what's but, up. Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoy... I mean, I guess I know why you say that. I mean, I really enjoy, like, Capture the Flag and stuff like that. It's it's more my my pace, I guess, than, like, Cutting Edge, you know, um, 4v4 competitive stuff. Yeah. But, no, I mean, if I had to pick one Halo mode to play forever, it would be the 4v4 Arena that we got in Halo, Hell yeah. in Halo 5. But it definitely um, hurt with BTB, not... Not being how it. Yeah, no yeah. BTB. I mean, that's that's where I spend it over at least half, at least literally fifty percent of my time or more. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's a big deal. Um. So Brent, before we get into the the juicy fun topic of talking about Halo Infinite and what's going on with that, just briefly, how, did you like Halo Wars two? And you mentioned Halo Wars one. Yeah, I like? you know I still haven't beaten it, but I just okay. A lot of that is because I don't have time. You know, it's just I Josh just hasn't beaten either. So yeah, I know all of us have worked in grocery stores, and I manage a grocery store, so it's like I yeah. I Killing it, man! Nice, hell yeah! Yeah, well, it only took ten years. Uh, <laughs> I know that, but uh, yeah, I haven't beaten it, but I'm aware of the story beats all throughout. I think those cutscenes are great, and just that E3 reveal trailer for that game too was like, okay, thank God they're gonna move back towards this original art style. Yeah. It was a great trailer, um, and they they did, and they moved towards it, and now we're getting that realized in Halo Infinite, and. I think even then, seeing the Banished, it's it's funny to hear people be like, they weren't sure that the Banished were going to be in Halo Infinite. Part of me was disappointed when they revealed the Banished, even though I, I, I agree that it's a nice remix and a, and a new take on the Covenant that you can kind of get behind more as a player. It's not just this uh, fanatical hegemony. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or it's just not the storm. That's just like it's just a copy, a carbon copy of the covenant we were fighting for ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, the banish is like a new, refreshing take on that. But I was a little disappointed because I'm like, oh great, it's it's just more covenant again. We're going back to the covenant. I would have preferred if they had made the the Prometheans cooler. And right. I think that they wanted to do that with the created stuff. Like I said, like if they had all been taken and redesigned by Cortana. And we're seeing some of that now in Halo Infinite with some of the guns. Maybe Cortana's been busy hybridizing some of the Forerunner technology to make it cooler and stuff. But yeah, Halo Wars 2, I, I enjoy it. I just haven't, like I said, I haven't been able to actually play through it. 
Yeah, I well, I think that's a valid point, and you know, I could I could be convinced if the Prometheans were done differently, I could I could like them, but I'm, I'm in the camp of just not being a fan of them and being very glad that we're Likewise. back to regular enemies. Um, yeah, definitely. When you get if you get time, you know, Halo Wars two to complete that campaign and the the DLC, the Awakening the Nightmares, also. Awesome. Oh, I know. Yeah, um, again, Josh has to get to that too. Uh, hopefully, before Infinite is his plan. Um, but yeah, so moving into Halo Infinite. Um, before we get into like the current like hot button issues on that, um, what did you think when you first saw the announcement trailer? Were you blinded by its pilot majesty, trailer? Brian? <laughs> yeah. Were you like, <laughs> like, were, when that came out, were you like, I'm on board for this, or were you like hesitant because oh, yeah. of Halo Five? Or what do you think? No, the uh, the announcement trailer for it, like going way back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, twenty eight. All you see is his helmet. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, I, dude, I cried. I cried so hard. <laughs> My wife was in the room. Uh, we were watching because uh, we, we will usually watch E3 together. She cares. She's not as big. I mean, I was telling you, she plays old school RuneScape and Animal oh, Crossing, yeah. and most of the, everything else is on her phone. But she still she still tunes in. Still- we're watching that trailer, and right at the start, I'm like, they go through that cave and they show those human glyphs, and I'm like, don't do this to me, dude. I'm like, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like already like grabbing my chest. I'm like, this cannot be what I think it's gonna be. And then, like, just the little pieces add up, and you see that warhog in the water, and I'm like, holy shit. And then they show the Marines, and they look like my favorite design for the Marines, which is Halo Reach. And I, sh- I should have mentioned earlier, but I think Halo Reach, I, I like a lot of the design in that game. Mm. It's probably my favorite of the art styles. And they're going back to that a bit with Infinite, for sure. I know. It's exciting. And they're blending it really well with Halo 3, which Reach even didn't do. Um, yeah. But, yeah, when you get that piano note, dude, and Chief's helmet falls down like that, I mean, yeah. I was nuts. I think I pushed away from my computer. I was like, <laughs> "All right, it's back." Just seeing that helmet alone, I'm like, "I'm I'm on board. I'm 100 back on board." Yeah, yeah. That's that's why you know. Even even I've said before in the past, I'm like, "Yeah, hey, you know, Bungie left Halo in a great position to just be done, to just be finished." And yeah. and and so in some ways, the best things in life are good because they had a definitive ending. You know, just think of how people. You know, obviously. Josh's prequels used to get dogged. My sequels, Star Wars, get dogged now. But think if it just ended and stayed ended at Return of the Jedi, it probably would have just went down in history as this just god tier classic yeah. trilogy. But but things you know, people want things to go on. We can't help it. And I think yeah. even if you know maybe it was a good place to end it, we can also say on the other hand, damn, does it feel good to get more of this? Because how mm-hmm. how how it feels, you know. Um, some things are just too big to end. I think. Yeah. Just financially. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's oh, how it is. Definitely not. It's hard not to because I mean, even if even if Halo had continued and and did not touch on Master Chief or the Covenant or any of the stuff we know, that universe they created was big enough to make games till the end of time already. Oh yeah, you know, basically. I but, think it uh, will. Yeah. So going on to then you get to the 2019 trailer with the pilot. I'm sure if the first one made you feel that way, this one had to also just kind of hit you in the feels, right? Yeah. I would say though the 2019 trailer it caught me off guard because I kind of I we learned after the fact, but that first teaser we got that shows uh, Slip Space Engine, I kind of just from what you see in that teaser in the moment, I thought maybe they're just totally rebooting this franchise. I'm like mm-hmm. maybe they are just gonna retell Halo CE. You I can, can kind of get that. No, vibe, I get that. Right? It, it definitely wasn't quite clear as to what we could expect from that. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think in a sense they are retelling CE spiritually, right? Even now, definitely. So, which no, I think definitely. is a good idea to, to go ahead and do it that way instead. But it, it's pretty telling how much I was turned off from Halo Five, where I'm like, "Oh, you're just going to reboot the last twenty years? Go ahead." I'm like, yeah, "Please do." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I hear you, man. I hear you. But 
And I don't want to just not hate Halo 5 all the time. It, like you said, it's just the story, really. The game is great. It's a, it's a great game on its own. But yeah, so we get to the 2019 trailer, and we get the pilot. And uh, yeah, I'm here for it. I'm like, great, we're going to get a more human story. There were these murmurs that they were going to try to do with Halo, what they did with uh, God of War and stuff. And I'm like, okay, now I see it. You're going to bring in some more human characters to kind of tell this story for this enigmatic character. That doesn't say a lot and doesn't, you know, he's not very personable. I mean, he's the chief. He's personable for us. But I think for a broader audience, you need to have some human characters for him to bounce off of. And even Cortana, not being human at all, is a more human character than the chief in a lot of ways. For sure. Um, Yeah, that's kind of where it was. And I just, yeah, I'm like, these guys are going to take big swings. But they're swings that I think are... Uh, vital to any great storytelling. I mean, you, you've introduced us a new human character. You've given us his cause for uh, conflict. He's He's got a wife and kid at home. I love how they just show he, he grows a beard instantly, but you're like, oh my God, it's yeah. been months. He's still in this yeah. pelican. It's like, been a while. Alive? Yeah, and then they show the <laughs> chief. And it's funny because with the Slipspace engine teaser, they show a master chief who's actually like really slender looking. He's like a more slender looking Halo 3 mm-hmm. chief. Then you get the 2019 trailer, and it's this like tank chief, and I'm like, I don't know which one I like more. I, honestly, I'll like I'll take both. You're right. Like, look I'm great. pretty sure that's not John in there. That's Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Truly, I mean, God. he looks like a tank, and then when he drops down, you're like, he shakes the whole pelican in space. You're like, yeah, that's that's the weight of what the chief should weigh like, and they've they've toned him down even more still. But I'm like, either way, I'll take. I love the design of the chief so far. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So then, so we get to finally get to 2020, and we get to see this game playing uh, in front of us. You know, actual gameplay. Um, yeah. I know, you know, because you listen to the podcast, you know where we're at on it. I, 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 we both really liked it. We both really loved it. Josh was more understanding towards graphical issues. I was more like, I don't care. It looks good enough. Uh, how'd you feel? Um, man, I had heard for so long. I mean, I can go back to like 20. 20- 17 and i remember hearing the rumor that halo infinite is to date the most expensive game ever made so you hear price tags around like 500 million dollars now you hear it's like closer to 550 million dollars it's it's wacky i mean like avengers infinity war both movies cost less than halo infinite what what is what is yeah what is rumored to be true so then we see these graphics in 2020 and i'm like where's that money at Hmm. It doesn't doesn't quite look like what you were expecting, except you see it now in the system. You're like, okay, they are going for this huge open landscape, and it seems to be complex with what they want to fill that landscape with, but the fidelity of it just looked unfinished. And it, I think like with a lot of people, I saw that, and I I had the same kind of impression. But I I knew right away, I'm like, we're not getting this game this year. I don't think we're getting it. Well, I could be completely completely wrong but i think the reason the game is so expensive is because after halo 5 they scrapped the work they'd already done on 5 mm-hmm. and so many of the first couple two three years whatever was spending money and time and all paying all those employees to rebuild the engine into the slip space engine yeah. to come up with new concepts for a new game in a new direction i think what's happening is there's there's a pseudo like a pseudo reboot happening in 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 three four three, but unlike them, clo- unlike other game game franchises where they close the studio and open a new one or get someone else to work on it, they just took the same studio. They they said everyone they said hold the phone, 
and they stopped a bunch of things that were in progress. They got a bunch of new things started, and they also grew their team as they were building this engine, as they were starting out Halo Infinite. So if you think about six years of, of, of rebooting and, and new, new engine and delays and new hardware, it makes sense why this budget's so big. I don't know if the budget, even though it looks great now, I don't know if the budget's really going in the visuals. I think there was a lot of startup costs that just was sunk before the game even really started being yeah. coming into anything. No, I think I think you're totally right, Brian. I think that is where the bulk of the money went now. I guess uh I mean we none of us develop games. I have some experience tooling around with mods and stuff like that, but what it takes to really make a game financially, you have no I like I have no clue. I'm sure us here we have like a rough picture. Yeah. But still to be the most expensive game reportedly like the most expensive game ever made in your head you're thinking man that's then it's got to be the best of everything mm -hmm. but i think we come from uh like you said earlier uh perspective of the 360 era being kind of this perfect this perfect crossroads in the games industry where things were cheap enough and they didn't need to look too great that you could make these really expansive worlds and environments on a pretty decent budget but now as we've moved along you know, for things to look expensive, they are truly expensive. <laughs> like it's 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 yep. nuts how expensive it is, and it's ex expensive on your hardware too. It's this massive hundred and maybe two hundred gigabyte download. I'm I'm impressed to see Halo Infinite's download size is not as big as I think people were thinking. I think they thought it was going to start at a hundred gigs. The fact that it's only like forty or so is like surprising. Well, I'm wondering if that's just a piece of it or something. I that's yeah, idea. could be. It's hard to tell before launch. At least right before launch. Yeah. yeah, it might be like Modern Warfare 2019, where it's like the campaign is 40 gigs, but yeah, everything else is the other 160. I wonder if by the end of this generation, we'll have where like the onboard terabyte hard drive cannot hold one single game. That, like, <laughs> Could like very call, well be. Like end of generation Call of Duty, it's like this requires 900 gig of free space. It's like, well, once I clear it, the system came with like 880. So yeah, I hate it. I hate that that's a thing. Every time I it's, see the install, yeah, drive. everything in gaming like. This is a pessimistic way to look at it, and it's not really true, but I'm just going to say it to feel better. Everything went downhill after the 360 generation. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, you're kind of right. I mean, even yeah. Microsoft, they're the ones who crushed it and ushered in that era. Yeah. Then they just totally, again, talk about a company resting on their laurels after their success. I mean, PlayStation did it after the PlayStation 2 with PlayStation 3. Yeah. Um, and did Microsoft did it. Yeah. Microsoft did Microsoft uh, did the same thing going from the 360 to the one. It was like a, they just rested on their laurels. They expected people to buy something that there was no market for, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, um, the impression of the Xbox One was, okay, we've perfected video games, and we don't have to work on them at all anymore, right. so let's move into TV and NFL. The games are still there, though, yeah. and everyone's going, that's not it, bro. That's not, not what it. we want, no. <laughs> no. That's not why we're here. Makes um, me think of that game Rise. I loved that game, but it just... I love oh, sure. it. It just sunk yeah. because of because it was one of those launch games amid such a traumatic yeah. time so were, for Xbox. Were you happy with the delay uh, for Halo Infinite then in 2020 when it happened? Were you happy? Ah uh, man, no, I wasn't. I remember uh, I was driving back from Arizona. I went on a vacation, and we popped off at Jack in the Box to get some of those delicious jalapeno poppers. And, <laughs> nice. And uh, we're sitting in the uh, in the because it's a long ass drive from where we live to to Phoenix, Arizona. Mm -hmm. 
and we're sitting in the parking lot and I finally have a moment cause I've been driving like 11 hours straight or something crazy. Finally have a moment to like pull up Reddit and that's the first thing I see. And I could not have let out a more like blood curdling yell. My wife like jumped back. She's like, what, <laughs> what's wrong? I'm like, they pushed back Halo Infinite to next year. I'm like, this year is over. 2020 is the worst year on record. I mean, that was, I felt like as bad as that year. And I got COVID. I'm like, as bad as that year had been, I'm like, at least at the end, we're going to get Halo Infinite. <laughs> but even, like I said, watching that trailer, even, it's like I it's like I knew that the game was going to get pushed back, but I didn't want to believe it. Your wife, and like, like you, I think it's like, I'll take it, even in the state that it's in, because I, yeah. need, I need this. <laughs> Your wife's like, oh my God, what is it? You're like, she's like, did someone die? And you're like, no, it's worse. Yeah, yeah. My hype is dead. I want to say, like, I I had two different perspectives. Like when the game got delayed, my my first thought was, I'm completely okay with this. Me and Josh, I feel like we're the odd ones out in this community where Josh and I are completely like open to the game being delayed five years if that's what it takes to get it done right. Like we yeah. just we have other games, we have other things in our mind. Most people in the community, and it's understandable. People congregate to this community because they're obsessed with the thing. So it makes sense mm -hmm. that people have such a hard time. But for me, it was like, okay, you know, same for Josh. I was like, okay, this is fine. I'm good with it being delayed, you know, whatever they need. Yep. But I also felt like, and I was, I, I know now that I was wrong and I'm kind of glad, I'm glad to be wrong. Um, when they delayed it, I thought the delay was simply that the game didn't look good enough for people. And I thought, what a ridiculous reason to delay it because I thought the community was being, I thought the community was being a little ridiculous. I was like, okay, yeah, it's obvious this game isn't the best looking game ever, but it looks like Halo. It looks like a lot of fun. And, you know, I'm sure we'll have updates over time. Like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Like this isn't enough reason. Well, now that you fast forward to now, and this can transition us, segue us perfectly into the, the next topics. Um, now where we're sitting and we we're sitting with the release date that's in December and features that are cut. Mm -hmm. It's clear to me, whatever game they would have released in 2020, mm -hmm would have had a whole heck of a lot of problems. And it wouldn't yeah. have been just visual because they can't even get the full package out with an extra year and pushing it to the last possible month of the year. Yeah. Um, so I'm very glad we got the delay. And I honestly would, if you know, if everything came down to me and I could be selfish and I, Josh can say the same, we would, we would, we would pick a delay now. And I'm, I'm guessing Brent, you're going, Hell no. <laughs> no, I mean, no, no. Yeah, it, even Forge being my favorite mode, I can wait six months. It's not, especially now as a busy adult, I can wait six months. But uh, yeah, I mean, even you guys have turned me around on it for sure. I mean, it was it really chilled me to the bone that they were pushing this game back last year mm -hmm. into this year. But you're absolutely right, and you guys have kind of convinced me with time. I'm like, this. There's no way this game was going to launch finished and i know that they had come out and said oh multiplayer is definitely going to launch with can't i don't believe it anymore i don't i don't think that was the case part of me feels like they were maybe going to release the uh, campaign to its own and then multiplayer was going to come later whatever the case is mm -hmm. definitely seemed like it was a bit of a gray area when it came to that like one of those things where yeah. i don't think they were even sure of themselves of what they were going to be able to get done within that well, time. and it was it was more than the fidelity of that game too it was like there's a lot of pop in there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes in that game that you could see in that trailer you're like this doesn't look quite quite finished definitely doesn't look like 2020 uh you know triple a game yeah. Well, to, to put on, to put on our tinfoil hat, I, Josh, I'm pretty sure we had this conversation over the phone off the podcast. If this is something we already said on the podcast, then I'm just going to repeat myself. But I don't think You're we good. did. Um, to put on our tinfoil hat, I, I think you know Chris Lee. You know he was the head of, of Halo Infinite for uh -huh. a few years, and after the 2020 reveal, 
he's gone, Joe Staten's in. And I know a lot of the reaction for, for a lot of fans was, I don't really know Chris Lee that well. Joe Staten's my, my, my daddy. You know, like, I yeah. love this guy. Like, like, let's welcome him back with open arms. Everyone got excited. But I think what I'm, what we're kind of seeing, and we talked this through on the phone, I believe, is... Yeah, um, it was on the phone. I, I, think, I think Chris Lee, he was probably doing a great job to get this game to be what it needed to be. Mm. But he probably wasn't doing it in a time frame in a way that was that was really going to work for the studio for the right. for the amount of money and as much as people want to say Joe Staten coming back is only a good thing i mean net as a net positive he's a net positive for me We're, we love that he's there it makes us so happy oh likewise um, but if you look at Joe Staten's history you know after halo he stays with Bungie they go into destiny and then sounds like he kind of got screwed over with destiny and I'm scrapping his story well then he goes right back to Microsoft he's been working at Microsoft since he left Bungie, and he has helped get Crackdown 3 out the door. He's helped get ReCore out the door. He's right. helped get, I think it's called Tell Me Why, mm-hmm. out the door. Yeah. Um, yeah. Joe Staten has become this reliable guy at Microsoft. That He's a he, closer. He's a, he, yeah, he's a closer. You're, you said it perfectly. Um, so I think what they did in 2020 is they kind of reevaluated, and they went, okay, this is what we're going to do. This game's not coming out this year. Chris Lee, you're out. Even if he's a great Go guy back. and has done a great job, you're out. Joe Staten's in. Joe, this is what we want. This is what we expect. Get this game looking good. Make sure it comes out next year. Do what you got to do. And I think I think it was pr- he's the creative director. I think right. it was primarily his decision to very early say on say he looked at the project and went, okay, we have one year in a pandemic. Forge is not going to be there at launch. Co-op's not going to be there at launch. There's some other things that I'm not even sure about yet, but we'll see how it goes. And they they polish this game up. They he he put like if you think about it if you remember back um, fall of 2020 there was a big dead silent moment for for the studio it oh, was yeah. kind of like a blackout I think there was and they, they ended up coming back in December of 2020 with mm-hmm. the first Inside Infinite and basically telling us that yeah the studio has been heads down for these months getting this thing done yeah. and then then we started getting Inside Infinites you know all the way up to E3 we got the E3 stuff and now what were we just told again like a week ago Joe saying. They're in shutdown mode. Shutdown mode, that's why we don't have campaign stuff to show. Shutdown mode for a while, then we'll show some stuff closer to launch. We want to get this game done and ready. I think Joe is... Like, it's funny because we all love Joe so much and we have this nostalgia for him where it gets in our head that he's just a buddy, he's just a friend. But the truth is, he's a professional. He's a, he's a, He is oh, a yeah. top-tier professional game developer. He's a leader. He gets paid. He makes he money. He gets paid. He works at Microsoft. He knows what he's doing. He's not just a kid who worked on Halo. Like, he's so much more than that. So I think he came in... He got strict. He said, this and this is going to be cut. We're going shutdown mode here. We're going shutdown mode here. We're going to reveal these this, these things here and here, and we're going to get this done. And he's going to cl- he's going to close this game. And I think it's probably, as a, as a company, as a developer, as a studio, this is probably the right decision. <laughs> Brian, what's what's just, up, Josh? I just pictured Joe showing up there day one, and everyone's like, oh, Joe, nice to meet you. I'm such a huge fan. And he's like, I didn't come here to make friends. Yeah, get, get back to work. Yeah. He's like, I Frank, I need to kick ass coffee. and chew bubble gum. Yeah. I'm out of gum. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I think, and and I honestly, truly believe I could be completely wrong. I've been wrong before, but I think, I think in less than a year, in less than a year after no. launch, Joe's not going to be there anymore. He's not going to be a three four three. Could that's, very well be. That's how I, mean, I feel. I think we'll see. I think it's um, and I. I liked Chris Lee. I didn't know if he was the, necessarily the best choice, but I will always be grateful for him steering, even not having the game yet, for steering it in the direction that it looks like it's going in. Yeah, I mean, just artistically really and thematically, I'm grateful for him for that. But there has, there was even before the 2020 
trailer. There were leaks and murmurs and stuff that that 343 was really mismanaged. And some of that has got to be on him. And I don't know how much of management in 343, you know, sometimes less is more. You see this in movies a lot. If the budget is as high as it is and they've had all this time, I could imagine a development team, and we have to remember, they're humans, right? I mean, how often in your life have you worked nonstop to complete a task going 110% every day for years? Never, never. I mean, I can't think of any time in my life. I mean, I do it for two days, I'm exhausted. (laughs) Staring at a computer alone, I can imagine. Um, But I can see how an obscene budget, a lot of time, because they put the kibosh on putting out any more content for halo 5 they handed halo wars 2 off to somebody else i mean they've had a lot of time so they have this promise of they can take time with it they can take as much money as they kind of need um there's no real firm release date up until only like last week i mean there's you're gonna you know you're gonna it's not necessarily gonna be nose to the nose to the floor get get the job done with that sort of with those limits uh I mean, just as from a management perspective, I'm not to this scale, but I'm a manager of a grocery store. If you don't set deadlines and you don't give people and you don't follow up with people, the ship's going to get off course. It is. And I think that might have been what happened with Chris Lee. He quickly leaves thereafter. And, yeah, they brought in a closer. Why they didn't bring him in any sooner or why they haven't brought him in in the past is beyond me. Uh, Personally, I'm under the belief that maybe Joe Staten didn't even want to come back to Halo, not because he doesn't love it. But I feel like he wants someone else to take take it over. I, I agree. Know, I, wa- yeah. I think he's enjoying his time back. But yeah, I think you're right. He might he might just end up leaving once this thing is closed. I mean, that's what he does best. But because it is why it is kind of like he's been with Microsoft for a long time. I mean, since like, yeah, like with Recore, what is that then? I mean, it's years and years and years ago. Yeah, you would think that he would have come into help three for three at some point the only and i'm sure they would have wanted him to from a business perspective the the only thing i could see why he wouldn't is because he doesn't want to or didn't want to at that time yeah until finally i I I think he saw the need and uh they offered him more than he could refuse yeah no i I think you're completely on to something there i mean i i can you know it's easy for us as like just fans to think oh well wouldn't working on halo just be the best like why would you choose why would you work on recore or tell me why or crackdown when you could work on halo but like the thing is, like, it's probably a lot. I mean, I don't. This is where this is all speculation, but it's probably a lot less stressful to be working under Microsoft as a guy who can hone his skills into one particular thing, go in and help these different studios finish their games, yeah. than to work on Halo. Halo has probably got to be a constant, nonstop headache, uh, especially yeah. when you're him. You're a grizzled agent, a, a veteran of the studio. All eyes are going to be pointed on him constantly. I mean, he could have he could have been there for Halo Four and Five in a role. Where we got the same Halo Four and Five games that we have now that people criticize. Yeah. Yeah. People could have people could have been like the the narrative could be now. Well, Joe Staten, you know, he sucks. You know, he he got he really lost his touch just because he was there for Halo Four and Five, even totally. though it might not have been him at all. You know, so but yeah, he he's a he's a professional, and you've seen the things he's done over the years. You know, he was front and center of that Halo Two documentary. He mm-hmm. did that story. He was he led ODST. Um, he was the guy who was going and meeting with uh, Ensemble Studios for Halo Wars. He was meeting with Peter Jackson for the Halo Chronicle series that yeah. kind of took off. Um, he's just, he's the guy you go to for this kind of thing. So, what you're yeah, saying, would, Brian. Yeah. It's like the end of Batman Begins, where you got Batman and you got Gordon on the rooftop. And he's like, he's like, 
got this new guy in town, calls him problems. It's like lefty's calling card and whips it out, and it's just instead of the Joker, it's the Master Chief on there. Yeah, someone needs to make a video of that and just Photoshop Joe's face over Batman. I would yeah, get get Photon on it. Yeah, go yeah. It. Gordon turns around and 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 and, and Joe Staten's Joe Staten's gone. He's like. He's are he, are he like it's like the whole thing like you know uh, where Batman's always gone when Gordon disappears you know he disappears when yeah, Gordon yeah. turns around it's basically around that's Joe he's just, he's just gone logged off uh, yeah yeah <laughs> um, but yeah so so uh, obviously E three this year was really good I think you'd probably agree Brent they kind of they killed it with their their trailer yeah. and their uh, uh, did you play the flight yourself No I did not get invited which again kind of like the push uh, of Halo Infinite last year into this year I'm I'm grateful because there's I've, it's allowed me to do more with my life than just sit in front of a monitor which I would love to do don't get me wrong like I would love to sit and play Halo Infinite but yeah I had a move going on my wife and I are just uh, recently moved into this apartment now Congrats, if that flight was going way. on at the same time thank you sir thank you if uh if that flight was going on at the same time, I don't think we would have been moved at all. I would have been just glued <laughs> to that monitor yeah. for sure. I just know myself too well. I mean, there won't no be way. in the I was already moved him too if we don't stop the banished. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So no, I didn't get into the flight, but uh, everything I've seen of it so far, I like. Uh, the criticism, I, I'm I'm appreciating seeing people's criticism of it too, and people are being primarily pretty honest with it. Uh, you know. I, I hear your your statement, Brian. Too people being like, "This is the best Halo." It's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. yeah, slow down. Let me get me started, man. Yeah, right. but I I can see why people would think that. You know, I could see why they would get into that, especially if it, maybe their first Halo is Halo Five or Halo Four. I don't know, and then they get to this. And, it's, even, um, it's even worse when they come out and they're like, you, you know, I, I know this sounds kind of crazy, but I, you know, I've really thought it through. And I, honestly, I think it's the best Halo ever played. It's like, yeah. no, stop. No, <laughs> yeah. you haven't. The flight came out last week. You've thought about it for a week. You've only played a small slice of the game. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I know I always talk about people's opinions being valid. That one's not. <laughs> yeah, there's just, there's just no way. It's completely no, hyperbole. You haven't way thought it through. Soon. There's yeah. too much hype. You haven't played the whole thing. No, you need more time for me to take. It's that like th- I think of every movie you walked out of the theater and you're like, oh my god, that was like a revelation, and then you never watch it again. You're just like, it fades to the back of your memory. It's just in the yeah. moment. I remember. I remember. Oh, it's so embarrassing. I remember me and my buddy Kyle. We walked out of. We saw the Hunger Games, the very first one when it came. Uh-huh. out. Never read the books. Didn't know anything about it. Went in and watched it. You know, Jennifer Lawrence was like a new face in yeah. in Hollywood to us. We watched it and we're like, that's one of the best movies we've ever seen. That's like, I think that might be up there with Lord of the Rings. Oh, wow. We yeah. said that. And then like <laughs> weeks later, it was like, did they, was I injected with something when I heard the theater? Like, bro, I don't yeah. even see, like Hunger Games anymore. I was going to say, like, I don't even like it. No hate on it. I've only ever seen that one. I saw it yeah. in cinemas. Haven't seen the rest since. I, I'll watch oh, them. Oh, you should watch the rest. They're worth watching. Okay. But they're definitely not Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> I don't but I, like yeah, exactly. Game, I could see it. It does happen to people. You, you get caught up in the moment, yeah. You get those enthusiastic, yeah. enthusiastic hot takes where it's just like, man, you just want to be so excited. It feels so good. It's like that moment. Mm-hmm. Bless Justin's heart, but we I had my cousin. We were playing the Halo 5 uh, beta. And then at one point in the midst of like these several hours of us just winning over and over and over, he's like, what do you guys What do you guys think about going pro? Right. And it's like, well, <laughs> let's just... let's." 
let's get this game out first, you know. But I love that he had yeah. that enthusiasm. It was there, yeah. but it was just uh, yeah. yeah. We're all we're all guilty of it. There's oh, nobody who can say they've never done it at some point. But once oh, yeah. once you've reached that point in your life where you have the self realization and you try to avoid doing that when other people do it, you just want to call them out. Cause you're like, Come on now, <laughs> yeah. calm bro. time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so after the flight, we get uh, you know a little bit a little bit of time waiting to to see you know, some more information. We get the announcement that there's uh, forges delayed. Um, co-ops delayed, Oof. and then we get to the the release date, December eighth. Mm-hmm. Where would you say you're at now at this very moment, Brent? What you're, what's your hype out of ten, and how are you feeling as we approach this launch date? I think, uh, yeah, I think I'm probably sitting at about a six or a seven. That okay, forge, it, it it took a big blowout for me the the forge because I really as time went on and we didn't hear anything about forge i kind of knew that it was going to get pushed back i think you guys were even saying that you know earlier this year you're saying as much that you know it could very well be that they're going to push it back um and that makes sense i was just i man i was looking forward to finishing that campaign and then just jumping right in and start cooking up some maps because what tom french has uh has promised not that we'd have to get it but what he if it was all up to him and it kind of is he's the multiplayer lead now if we get what he wants Forge to be, then I think people will be playing Halo Infinite for a long, long time. I think the the Forge community is about to become probably the richest in in its history. Uh, I don't know quite exactly what we're going to get, but I mean that guy has been talking about putting AI into Forge and a terrain maker into Forge, and he's been talking about doing this stuff since Halo Five came out. I mean the guy has had big dreams for Forge since since Halo Five, and he was able to do so much with that. You know, at recently it seems like there's been, and I won't get too into it, but we're just talking about Forge exclusively. It seems like maybe we're not getting quite what he wanted way back when, and I don't, you know, that could be technical difficulties. Um, doesn't mean that we can't get that in the future, though. And with this game being a live service, I mean, Halo Halo 5 was kind of a live service game in a lot of ways. We got so many modes after launch. We got so much Forge every time they updated it. They added something new to Forge. Um Halo 5 was kind of like that, and so it was hard to imagine that Halo Infinite wouldn't be, and uh, I'm glad to see that that is the case. It just makes it more promising for someone who is into the content creation of making maps and making game modes that it is a live service game, because uh, just the more they give me in tools, the more I can do. I think a lot of people feel that way, so even though it's a more immediate blow that they're pushing it back at least six months after the release of Halo Infinite, um, I can't complain too much because I just I know in my heart it's going to be the biggest and best version of that mode to date. Yeah, I think it's a very level-headed response. I mean, so it sounds like you you've accepted it and you're you're excited to play this on the eighth. Were you did you try to get one of the controllers or consoles or was that not for you? No, man, I'm with you. You said it perfectly. I like it, like if I have a Halo controller and I go to sitting down and play uh, Gears of War or something, it throws me off. I'm like, doesn't oh, feel right. Doesn't feel right. Yeah. Doesn't feel right. I just That's have good. all black. I think for stuff. most people who buy those, they're like, I'm conference. only gonna play Halo and just yeah. Halo. Which totally. yeah. wrong I have with that. the Halo Five ones somewhere. I have the Chief one and the Lock one. They're oh man, Brent. I don't know if I ever said this on the podcast, man, but I bought both of those and I told mm-hmm. Brian my plan was I was like, every time it's a lock level, I'm gonna use the lock controller. Every time it's cheap, <laughs> it's the chief. I'm yeah. gonna play the chief controller. Guess how many times that chief controller got used, everybody? Uh huh. Three no. times. <laughs> mm-hmm. Three. Like the times. lock controller, like the sticks are falling off, and the the chief controller is like yeah. floating off the ground with light around it. It's never been touched. Yeah, it's like tag me yeah. in. 
I can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, one of Josh and I's biggest pet peeves since we started Sacred Icon, I think we've mentioned it a little bit before, but it, behind the scenes it's definitely a big pet peeve for us is there's just so many people in this community that they that they act like the only game they play is Infinite or the only series or franchise they care about is Halo, yeah. and it just drives us nutty sometimes because we're like, because me and Josh, we love Halo. We absolutely adore it. We love talking about it, but we like, we love Lord of the Rings. We love Marvel. We love Lost. We love Star mm-hmm. Wars. We love uh, Jurassic Endless, Park. I'm a Witcher, <laughs> Cyberpunk. Right. He just yeah. goes yeah. on forever. Yeah. So like when somebody's like, you know, you see a tweet and you're like, oh, I can't. There's been no new Halo information for a week. I'm getting an itch. It's like, dude, play or watch something else, man. I've got. I, mean, I, I definitely remember work. being like that, though. I mean, being that kid. And I, I was like, I was too. in high school. Yeah. I was. In yeah. high I was school too. too. Yeah. yeah. Comes with but, the gray hairs. I think I've grown out of that a bit. But I mean, at <laughs> yeah. the same time, when it does, like, when it shows up, it's like Halo, and that's all you want to focus on. It's tunnel vision. Oh, yeah. But then in between those times, I'm like, eh, I can wait because I mean, yeah. Especially considering how this one's development has been a bit rocky, and of course, amidst the pandemic affecting that, it's like, right. I'm just like, you know what? If sometimes the silence is good, that means they're working on it. They're trying to get it done. Like they want us to play the damn game. I know totally. a lot of people are like, when's this game coming out? So, it, yeah, way, you, you know, but <laughs> if you put me on a if you stranded me on an island with every video game I currently own, yeah, I think I would get bored of playing video games before I completed them all. That's honestly how I feel. Yeah, yeah, so totally. I also, I, I more it's more common for me to replay a game I love like Halo or Zelda or Gears than it is for me to start something new, which is kind of a bad habit, I guess. But I just love playing the things. Man, I love. I'd probably go batshit crazy and have a second controller and like. Pretend like there's a person there, but it's just yeah. a coconut. And I'm like, you're going to play like Call of Wilson. Yeah. yeah. Your coconut <laughs> would be goes, a girl. The controller's yeah. name is like Elizabeth or something. Elizabeth! <laughs> like, like, sails out. <laughs> Elizabeth, so the elite controller. you finally get off the island and you drop the controller in the ocean, it floats away. You're like, no, come back, Elizabeth. <laughs> Why? Uh, that's hilarious. Uh, yeah. But, okay, so we pretty much got our, we, we covered uh, Brunt's uh, thoughts on all the Halo games and we're in for the standing. So Great to hear. Well, yeah. We, we, we want to we close out talking about uh, the content creation uh, Brunt's doing with Nightwire. But before that, in, in kind of the same fashion, we talked to Luke about Lost. You know, we get people on here that, that mm. are passionate about something else as well they want to talk about and me and josh are also very passionate about middle earth and lord of the rings and i know brent wanted to talk about it brent just got done going through watching the extended editions of lord of the rings um actually i haven't even told josh but uh this month me and erica are planning to go see all three extended editions in the theater oh bang bang nice yeah so that'll be cool that'll how's be that cool. work i mean you're gonna be there all day uh yeah i mean bring a cot or something or sleep yeah absolutely uh, yeah. But yeah, so I mean, Brent, just start us off. Like, what do oh, you want dude. to talk about first of all? We we love this stuff. What can you see? <laughs> yeah, dude, I I was like transported back. I cannot for one one thing. I cannot. The only of the extended versions I'd seen was the first one years and years ago. I think when it was like new mm-hmm. for Fellowship. Now watching Two Towers and Return of the King and Extended, I'm like, these are not, they're like wholly different movies. Josh, yeah. you said it earlier this week, too. You were like, once you go Extended, you can't go back. I can't. There's no way. No way. Yeah. And really, like, I didn't feel that even anymore until the, uh, in Return of the King, that guy comes out with the, just, he's like the straight The mouth, mouth of Sauron? Yes! Yeah. Oh, Dude, I'm yes. like, this is so cool and horrifying. How do you not have this in the original movie? It explains so much. There is so much in those extended movies. And I get, it. actually, it makes me appreciate really good editing, right? Mm-hmm. Like Halo 5 is a game that was edited too much. I would say the Lord of the Rings are edited remarkably well. 
because yeah. you do going back it's like i can remember vividly oh no this and i haven't seen these movies in 10 years i can remember oh this was in the original movie oh, this is extended like that's not all blurred for me at all mm-hmm. um where they cut things in those movies to kind of bring that playtime down i'm really impressed with i mean i think they cut them about as well as they possibly could to get this through story get the story through to you and have yeah. it feel as climactic as it did. There is some stuff in those extended, I would say, that kind of breaks the momentum a little bit. That's fair. But yeah, just stuff like that. The mouth of Sauron. I'm like, Jesus, how is this? Well, not like the mouth movie? of Sauron changes the entire context of the final yeah. battle because in the theatrical, you think they're just showing up to give Frodo more time, but in the yeah. extended, you're under the impression that they think that Frodo's probably dead, and there's nothing left. Shows the to damn fight for. It's like take this shit. Cut that little yeah, dude's like, neck. Oh, that, that reminds me, Gandalf. I have a gift for you. You're like, <laughs> and he's like, oh, 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 oh. you're yeah. like Jesus. That guy eats babies for fun. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> yeah, scary as all get. Yeah. It is funny though. Aragon like rides up next to him, all like sly. Like he looks like a kid trying to like pull a prank on somebody, and they just like cut his head off. Like, like, what are you doing? Aragorn's like, nothing. No. <laughs> yeah. The yeah, other exactly. thing I love though was like getting the Boromir uh, scenes. For the yeah. backstory with like Faramir, and it like gives, like, towers, like Ryan said yeah. with um, with uh, the mouth of Sauron, like they give so much context uh, for Faramir's backstory and like yeah. why he has issues with his father that we later get to see in Return of the King. I mean, completely changes that whole thing. I still don't like you know him seeing Denethor eat tomatoes. Uh, that was disgusting. No, I me mean, neither. <laughs> but the, but the scene the scene of Boromir in, in Return of the King paints him more to be like he's losing his mind. And so you're a little more sympathetic than yep. in the original cut of that movie. You just think he's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> like he's just a yeah. dickhead dad. Yeah. So he definitely I mean, like plays it totally differently. Totally. Sold in his yeah. grief because of that. Yeah. It does so much for those. Yeah, there's so much. It, it constantly makes it like bothers me and Josh that we don't have. I was like, why don't we have a Lord of the Rings podcast or, or something to talk <laughs> about oh, more often? Because we. We would sell Halo down the river. It's <laughs> we would sell the entire twenty-year franchise down the river for just an hour of one of those films. I, I we, we like Lord of the Rings infinitely more, but yeah. for some reason we were chosen to be Halo. Podcast. As much as yeah, as much as we love it, but yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy to see though. Well, Brent, when you when you first saw this, I, I didn't even I don't even think I know this of yours, Brian, but like. When you first saw it, Brent, did you have like any hype going into it? Because when I went to see it, for example, I didn't know anything about Lord of the Rings. I just thought it was another medieval fantasy film. I didn't know it was yeah. three films based on books, anything like that. How do, did you know about that going in? No, I mean, I was way too young. I mean, talking about Right Place, Right Time, and The Lord of the Rings, Halo. Um, 2001. Pixar's best Blair. movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, but just a lot of great stuff came out. The The prequels, I mean, it was all like neck and neck with each other i mean just look at like 2002 is like a crazy year for for movies and for games that's childhood uh, man that's nostalgia yeah. right there pure but i mean i think even uh object objectively looking at it i think it's just a super dense period of time oh, for absolutely. like just a lot of stuff that is still revered today yeah um so no i didn't i didn't have a lot of awareness of it until a buddy of mine came to school with a troll action figure i'm like this <laughs> thing looks sick <laughs> like, what is this yeah, well, I grew up. Uh, I grew up like not really that religious, but my mom had grown up really strictly religious. Mm-hmm. No Harry Potter, no Lord of the Rings. She did not want us to be tainted with that stuff at all because it was it strayed from you know what she thought of uh, of uh, you know of, of Christianity and what should be even like the Easter Bunny and stuff was like off limits. Okay, gotcha. 
the same, um, the wife to the great uncle that introduced me to Halo, my great aunt, she's the one who introduced us and she's the one who talked down my mom being like, like, Nikki, come on. It's like, it's just, you know, it's like Halloween. It's just like for kids, you know, or whatever. <laughs> but she knew better. She knew Lord of the Rings wasn't just for kids. Like, she knew this was like very much toned for adults. But we were able to see those movies on DVD that way, through that oh, lens. And she was a tremendous Lord of the Rings fan. Like, she, uh, she has all the books leather bound. And she has like sticky notes sticking out of them. Like, she writes oh, in wow. Like, such and such characters related to who and what. And these family members were so influential to your life. Oh, yeah. you have no idea. Yeah. Wow. I'm planning to see them very shortly. They live pretty far away from me now. But Oh, God. Gotcha. awesome. Yeah, they sound amazing. They sound amazing. Yeah. She was able to get us Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, you know, just through her own work see, as a saint of a it, woman. It, you know, when you think back to your childhood and, like, some of the thoughts you had as a kid, a lot of times you feel like, man, I, I feel like what an idiot I was. You know, I... I to me, as a let's see, I you know in, in 2002 I was 10. So, uh, mm-hmm. Halo or um, not Halo. Wow, there we go. Uh, Harry Potter had more of an appeal to my 10 year old mind than Lord of the Rings because as a 10 year old, I saw Harry Potter and I'm just like, oh, cool, magic and wands and 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 uh, brooms that you fly on. Yeah. Like this just appeals to my childhood because I'm 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lord of the Rings, it was like this is super dry and serious and. Not as like goofy and whimsical, so I'm like, ah, I don't really. I, I think like I wanted to watch Harry Potter. I didn't really ever care about Lord of the Rings. I remember my grandma; she loves going garage selling, and she bought a copy of Fellowship of the Ring on VHS and gave mm-hmm. it to us. And I wasn't excited at all. <laughs> and I popped it in. Thanks. Grandma. And I watched thirty to forty five minutes, and I'm like, this movie sucks. It's boring. I'm not interested in it. So I just it just sat in our VHS stack for a long time until. Uh, right after Return of the King had come out, and it was finally on DVD, my buddy Kyle, uh, he had he had purchased the DVD for Return of the King. He's like, "Let's watch Return of the King," and I'm like, "Dude, I don't, I don't think I'm into that." And he was like, "He's like, no, 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 it's it's not slow like Fellowship." And I'm like, "Well, I haven't seen Two Towers," and he's like, "I haven't seen Two Towers," and he goes. Uh, two Towers, you don't even need to watch that one. It's basically just a big battle. Which to nowadays, I'm like, let me slap you across the face with that idiot. Yeah, that's probably a fair one. Yeah, and then, uh, but so I'm like, okay, fine. So we start watching it. And, you know, you got to understand now, between when my grandma bought the VHS of Fellowship to Return of the King on DVD, I was probably, you know, uh, 14 instead of 10. You know, so I've gotten older. Well, I'm immediately captivated by Return of the King. And I immediately have this grudge against Gollum. I'm just like, I hate this guy. This guy is scum, and I just yeah. hope he dies. I remember being so happy when he burned alive at the end. Like I had, <laughs> see, I, I didn't, I didn't know, you know, I was my first time like getting into the series, so I'm like, I didn't, there was no, I didn't have any sympathy for him. I didn't understand that he was a, a decent person who had been corrupted by the ring, and I didn't have the sympathy that you should if you understand that character. No, I was totally. just like, die, you son of a die. Oh yes, burn alive. I hate you. Um, but yeah, after I finished Return of the King, I'm like, uh, that might be one of the best movies I've ever watched. And I remember I had like some allowance money and my mom and I went to the mall and I bought a, uh, my own used copy of Return of the King on DVD and a copy of Diablo 2. And I remember sitting there playing Diablo 2 while watching Return of the King. And I would just, when Return of the King was over, I just restart it and just keep playing Diablo 2. Nostalgic memories. And eventually I went and bought all three of the yeah. extended edition DVDs. And I, uh, just the universe of Lord of the Rings is just... Nothing's flawless, but it sure as hell seems flawless to me. Like, I would it's change super nothing close. about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's up there. I mean, I think it's telling that, like, in the IMDb top 250, those all three of those are in, like, the top 10, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. I mean, well, and they, and they really, truly the, belong there. 
Yeah, they do. And what's crazy is Two Towers is actually the unanimously highest ranked of the three. Oh, but I feel like you, you, I feel like you never hear people say like you just said it, which is awesome. Yeah. Right. Um, but you never hear people say that. I, uh, you mostly hear Return of the King, and you hear mm-hmm. a few people say Fellowship. Me and Josh's favorite is Fellowship. I remember it's funny. I actually it was only like four years ago. I was like, I think I might want to get a part time job at a movie theater just so I can get some free tickets and stuff like right. that. And oh, I went yeah. and applied and. You know, this sounds super conceited of me, but as a 20-some-year-old who'd already worked plenty of adult full-time jobs, right? I walked into that interview at the movie theater way overqualified. I mean, I was confident. <laughs> yeah. I looked him right in the eyes. I kicked my interviews. I mean, I obviously, they offered me the job. I mean, <laughs> I was just, yeah. you know, I was so on top of it. Um, but one of the questions in the interview was, uh, what's your favorite movie of all time? And I said, Fellowship of the Ring. And she goes, wow, that's really interesting. She says, uh, a lot of people choose Lord of the Rings in these interviews, but it's always Return of the King. And I was like... That makes sense, but it felt cool because I was, like, I was gonna yeah, say because yeah, you know, I, it, it used to be Fellowship, Return, and then Two Towers for me. But as I got older, I've, I've realized, like, man, I actually really, I think the only reason Two Towers gets slighted is because it's the middle child. Like in terms of the context of the story, mm-hmm. does so many amazing things, like Gandalf the Grey, you know, and getting his backstory of how he like turned. Uh, obviously, Helm's Deep. I mean, just everything at Rohan. You know, the music that plays, yeah. even even just seeing. Um, uh, Theo didn't cry. You know, it was like, no father, oh, yeah. you know, should have Beautiful. to bury their own child. And it's like, it's now, so if, if you sad. If you ask me my my score for Two Towers out of 10, it's an 11. I mean, it's it's mm. it's perfection so to me. Good. But the reason, Two Towers is my least favorite of the three because um, my favorite character of all time is Frodo. And my favorite story right. elements of the trilogy are Frodo and Sam's and Gollum's journey. That's my favorite elements. And for me... The dullest, weakest moments of their story occur in Two Towers. There's that that area, kind of when they get captured by Faramir, that yeah. I'm just like, it's slows a, little, a little bit. It's it slows a bit. It's not as interesting. That's you know, why I like the Frodo and Sam scenes, are, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Frodo and Sam are trying to say like, we understand who you are and what you're trying to do, but you don't understand. This ring's bad. We're trying to get rid of it. Blah blah blah. You know, we've seen the your ring brother. drove your brother mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And they're just yeah. not getting the concept. They're good. just not yeah, getting it. You. And he just gets stuck with Faramir for like an hour and a half of that movie. And I'm just like, yeah, and it's a lot of pop. Get on. I'm like the the two puppets from Santa Claus One. Get on with it. You know, just yeah. Move on. Uh, but yeah, no, all three movies are god tier. I would. They're all great. I couldn't. I couldn't uh, review them objectively because I'd give all three of them a ten. I, I mm, couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't. You know, bring them down. I and guess. Then, I. I would say. I would. I guess. I would say going back to them because I haven't seen them in ten years until just this last week. So mm-hmm. I went from sixteen to twenty six. Haven't haven't rewatched them wow. since. Hell yeah! I've grown a lot, obviously, as a human yeah. being. Yeah. Going back, you're right. I think I cried more watching them now at twenty six than I did yeah. ever. Even oh, as dude. a kid. And I would Every well time. up as a kid. I mean, the movies are made to well you up. But yeah, as an adult, so much more empathetic and stuff. Even towards like Gollum, I hated that character as a kid, yeah. like you said. As an adult, I like really pity him. And that's the point. You're supposed to pity that character. Yeah. There's the two end. there's two scenes that every time I watch the trilogy, it, was it makes pity me close that to Bilbo's hand. It's and both yeah. of them are in Return of the King. It's um it's when Gandalf's telling Pippin what it's like in the afterlife. Like Ooh, and Pippin's yeah, like so good. Pippin's like, it doesn't sound too bad, and then Gandalf has this twinkle in his eye and he's like not too bad at all. No, it's like, actually that, that almost makes me cry. Yeah. And then the second time that almost makes me cry is when Frodo and Sam are sitting there at the top of Mountain Doom, and Sam's like, you know, if I had a chance to relive this life again, like I would have Rosie Cotton with ribbons in her hair, I would have been, been her. And I'm just like, 
I'm just like chills. I'm like, Sam, shut your mouth. I'm about to cry. Like, yeah. damn, dude. Like, and it's funny because like no movie, I've seen some sad movies. No movies want to make nah. me cry more like Lord of the Rings. And I, I'm a, I must be a nerd to my core because, you know, I can watch yeah. like a movie about the dog dying and I'm like, yeah, that's nothing compared to Sam not being with Rosie Cotton. You know what I'm saying? Nothing but, gets me quite yeah. as much as actually when Frodo's going to the Gray Havens. Like that moment. Because oh, you know, Sam, it's just so hard to say that, that song, that's up there dude. Too. Oh, yeah. God. Well, because it just encapsulates like the whole adventure we've been on uh, mm-hmm. as as the viewer, and then also they've been on for you know, I, I don't know how long the film canon. Too is, many endings, you know, Josh. Like too many endings in return. No, there's not, Brian. That we'll get to that. But uh, <laughs> I'm playing devil's advocate. <laughs> I with Josh. Yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, that, that part just encapsulates so much for me because it's like, man, you know, it's like you know you're there at the end. But it's, it's yeah. you don't see a lot of films get proper exposition, and I mean that really yeah. tries to do that better than I think any other film ever has, as best it does. But I don't also think it does because where's the send off for Gimli? Where is Legolas? I thought we yeah. were maybe going to get a you know supposedly scene they of that. left later on or yeah. whatever. Thought we were but, no. I would say, and if I could get it like personal, yeah. Uh, at the time those movies were coming out and stuff, my my parents were like really on the rocks, and they ended up getting divorced uh, eventually. There was so much good escapism at that time that that amount of escapism for that sort of tumultuous childhood. And don't get me wrong; neither of my parents, if they're listening, they're you guys are great people. I love you both to death. They're better now, clearly, but they were just young. They were right. younger than I sure. am now. Sure, when they were, were having all these kids. Um, but those movies were just such great escapism for me that that scene when they when they leave on the boat is so potent even last night and really hit a nerve because i realized it's it's so much like closing closing a novel where you love those characters and you love the story you're on you want to live in that world yep you know i feel the same way about halo it's like i want to live in that world and and there's part of me that like i you know you dwell on the dark things from when you were a kid and you're like yeah i wanted to live in that world because i didn't really like my real world that much but as an adult i realized it's no those worlds are just they're designed for you to want to live in them. They they have so much promise and so much adventure. I think even as a kid watching something like Lord of the Rings, you realize there will be nothing in your life that will ever, ever be to that sort of scale, that accomplishment. So the fact that you get to go on that ride and get just a little taste of that, it, I mean, it does. It brings you to tears. It breaks you down. Truly. Yeah. yeah. And just no, seeing the strength a, of those characters. I think even seeing Bilbo. That's a, yeah, it's a beautiful way to look at it. Well, Josh, yeah, even, go ahead. even Bilbo when he's older just you know getting ready to go to the Grey Havens oh, he's yeah. like I think I'm quite ready to go on another adventure it's like oh man it's like fuck you know I just I'm blinking yeah. so many times when I when I would watch that because I'm like damn like he's been through a lot and he's just this old frail man and, and even I don't know just everything about the Shire too I mean it's so good like the the concerning Hobbit scene the just the monologue that Bilbo gives you know about good tilled earth and everything like that and fellowship it's just mm-hmm. does so much to set the life of these characters because you know that yeah. four of them are about to go through hell but it does so much to like ground what why it's such a harrowing journey for them like why right. you should give a shit and like i i just when it comes back around full circle to the shire i'm just and full sh- or the shire isn't even like my favorite place like i loved lothlorien i just thought it was beautiful but mm. the shire is just so wholesome and it's like i think brian brian said it before and he'd say it better but it's just every time I see the Shire, I'm like, man, if I could take all my friends, my family, my loved ones, and everyone just live there, I could do without video games. I could do without. Can you imagine a Halo LAN party and a Hobbit, 
house. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah. It'd be the coolest thing ever. I can just uh, imagine no, that did, Blunt did, the Knife song coming on, you know? Like, yeah, Blunt <laughs> the Knife's been the folks. Yeah, uh, and, and, and going back to, I appreciate uh, I appreciate the Shire so much more as an adult. As a kid, I was like, God, that place looks boring. These people need to get a life. As an adult, <laughs> like, no, I, I, I would kill now. for some peace and quiet in the Shire. Yes. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. like, Brian, um, you just, like, showing up in the wagon with the hat and everything. Brian comes yeah. up there on the side with his bare-ass hairy feet, and he's like, you're no late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, then yeah. keep your secrets. Yeah. Um, no, and I don't know how you feel about him, Brent, but me and Josh are huge fans of The Hobbit, and we completely back up those films. So yeah. I would, I would watch them if, if you, if you, unless no, you were right. Yeah, I saw the first two in theaters. I skipped Five Armies because um, Smog put like a weird taste in my mouth, just because it was different. But uh, now having watched these in extended. Like I'm, I'm back on the hype train. I'm like, I gotta go back and rewatch those. They might, yeah, I might the, have a different, and, different take on them. And Josh, Joshua did disagree on one part of this, but I would say <laughs> I for those, mo- for those movies, um, the first two Hobbit movies, the extended make them better. For me, mm-hmm. the third one, it makes it worse. But Josh thinks that all three make it better. So just watch all That's three. Good. All right. Yeah. There's at least no, Brian I mean, would I'm agree though. There's at least one scene that makes that, that improves Battle of the Five Armies. But it's yeah, some no, scenes Battle of the Five Armies has. Uh, in my opinion, it adds like two, two or three good scenes, mm-hmm. and then makes ten scenes worse. That's how I would mm-hmm. see it personally. Okay. Um, but because I can, no, and, I'll and, go into uh, it with an open mind for sure. Yeah, you know, Hobbit, I was curious. I wanted to ask you guys. We talked earlier in the week too, before we kind of get into my stuff. What outside of any of these fandom IPs, like, and I mean anything like Marvel, Lord of the Rings, Halo, any of that. Outside of that, what is your guys's favorite movie? Just straight movie. Oh, favorite movie that's out of a fandom. Okay, Josh, do you, you have yours already yeah, up top. Yeah, so, so mine's the go Goonies. Um, that's a good one. Yeah, came out in 1985. I don't even know what year I saw it now, but it was the first movie I saw as a kid where when the VHS tape was over, I wanted to rewind it and literally start it right back. And uh, I don't know what it is. You know, it's, it's sometimes you watch things as a kid and you certain things you don't realize you're like really identifying with like psychologically, like this is why I love it. This is why I like it. And then later on, as you get older, you realize that kind of defines part of like who you are. And what I mean by that is like the film being set out in Oregon, all the trees, it always had a lot of like, look like it was, you know, sometimes raining and everything like that. And then you have the ship sailing at the very end and everything. Well, then I get to like Lord of the Rings and it's got that kind of naturey look to it. And uh, I don't know, it just got a charm to it that, uh, I just always, always loved, and the sense of adventure that it had going for it was just I, I was enamored with, and I think the fact that it, as much as I would eat up a sequel if they did it, it's kind of mm-hmm. good they don't have one because it's just it's able yeah. to be what it is, open and shut, and I, I think it just it gets to be well preserved. It ages like wine because it simply is nothing more than what it always has been. So yeah, definitely yeah. my favorite. It's great. I saw it way too late, like to for it to make any real nostalgic clip on me. But mm-hmm. I mean, when I did finally see it, I'm like, I get it. I totally get yeah, it. This it's definitely a, lot a fun, of fun movie. Yeah, yeah. No, I love I love the Goonies as well. Um, this is a harder question for me because if I look at my movies, yeah. all of my top ten become from a franchise. All of them. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you three that I really love that are up okay. there that aren't are not franchise. One would be uh, Prisoners. Have you ever seen Prisoners? Oh, yeah. I have yeah. not seen that. Um, That's cool. I watched, I watched that movie over and over again. I never get tired of it. I showed my wife when we were dating. She was blown away. She's watched it several times. Um, just the Great Denny Bell New 
is the director. He directed Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, no. Um, fantastic movie. I love Hugh Jackman. I love uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, another movie that I talk about a lot that the people have shown this movie, their, their opinions are two extremes. It's either, why did you waste my time? That was garbage. Yeah. Or, wow, I really love that movie. Uh, Patterson. Have you ever seen Patterson? Not Patterson it's, Bear, right? No. No, no, okay. no. It's uh, Adam Driver from okay. you know, Star Wars. Yeah. And it's just a movie about his day-to-day life. It's like an hour and a half long. Slice of line. It has, nice. it has no real plot point. Uh, he's a bus driver who has a wife that stays at home. And she her, every time he comes home from work, she has some like uh, new idea of something she wants to do. Like mm. he comes home one day and she wants to start guitar lessons. So she talks him into buying a guitar for her. Another day he, she come, he comes home and she's turned everything in their house to black and white mm. colors. Yeah. Like she's just like an entrepreneur, I guess. And mm. it's just a typical movie about a man and his wife and, and the daily routine. That's I think cool. a lot of people would resonate with that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I love it. It makes me feel good. I showed it to my wife when we were dating. She loves it as well. And then the last one I would say that I've watched a million times. This one borderline made me cry when I first watched it uh, because I was super single and had no hope of, <laughs> of finding anybody. <laughs> 500 Days of Summer. with uh, those, Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, super dude. good. Um, I love that movie. Uh, it, there's a quote in there that makes me so happy. Um, now I'm going to say the quote, I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase it. It it sounds crass, but it's still kind of of emotional. There's one point where he's interviewing uh, the little girl or whatever takes interviewing, uh, one of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's friends. Mm -hmm. And he says, a perfect, what would my perfect girl be? He goes, well, she'd have a huge chest and uh, a really big, really big butt. Um, but honestly, the, the perfect girl to me is Robin and Robin's his wife. And he goes, because the thing about Robin is she's, she's, she's not my perfect girl. She's real. And every time I hear that, I'm like, damn, dude, like the hits in the feels like, you yeah. know, you know, we all have an imagination of who we'll be with one day before mm-hmm. we meet our person. And it's never the never the same exact person that you imagined. No, but they're so much more special because they are real. They're, they're there and they love you. Um, so that's yeah, those are film, three man. movies. That so good. No, that's yeah. a great. That is a great movie. What about you, man? Awesome. What about you? Oh man, um, there's a movie that struck a huge chord with me, and maybe you guys have haven't seen it. It was kind of a smaller movie, but it was called Loving Vincent, and uh. it's yeah, it's they frame by frame they went in and they painted. It's it's kind of a telling of uh, Van Gogh, Vincent right? Van Gogh's life after he died, mm-hmm. and uh, his like nephew I think is going around and he's interviewing people to try to find out why how Vincent Van Gogh died, the artist, the painter, and. Uh, Every frame in that movie is painted, like by hand, to be like a Van Gogh painting. It's like an oh. oil painting. Every frame, like thousands and thousands and thousands of frames in that movie, and it's truly beautiful. But I think what it does best is that it it puts you in that world, but it's so surreal because of everything is painted. And they even included some of Van Gogh's paintings in it. And I'm kind of an art guy. I mean, my wife is is an artist. I used to dream of being an artist, so I have an affinity for it. Oh. But um, what that movie really, where that movie really got to me and like broke me down to my core, like I had to pause it and like leave the room. I was really choked up and broken about it was there's a scene in there where, uh, they kind of reveal that Van Gogh, he's, he's been on tough times and he's been, um, he's just been drinking. He's kind of drinking himself into a hole and then eventually, you know, he commits suicide or they believe he committed suicide, mm-hmm. but it, they reveal how he's been leaning on his, his brother to 
his brother's more of a realist. He's like a family guy, but Van Gogh's been leaning on his brother to help him fund all of this painting that he does that, which now we know in the modern day, all that painting, all those paintings are worth millions and millions of dollars. They're priceless paintings. But at the time he's like, he's basically homeless and he's just leaning on family to, to help him fund this, what looks like just an affair with art that Van Gogh has. Mm-hmm. And did you, that realization that you have, there's a moment where the nephew sleeps in the bed that supposedly Van Gogh, that Van Gogh died in. And while he's asleep, you can see like they, they painted it so that the shadow of Van Gogh kind of like as his ghost is like lurching over the nephew. Okay. And it's right after they kind of reveal how Van Gogh was funding all this stuff. And it just made me realize like, I think I did a lot of growing up in one movie right away. I, I, I kind of <laughs> had put off. I was like, it's time to kind of bunker down and realize I had this epiphany, kind of bunker down and, and hone in. What do you want to do? I think when you grow up, you constantly bounce around, you know, like you said, like this wife in this movie, Patterson, it's kind of like, I want to do this now. And then the next, I want to do this now. And it's like, there's always this dream of like, when I grow up, I'm going to do this. Um, and it, it made me realize that that, though I think we were kind of raised to believe that we could do whatever we want to do, as long as you follow your dreams, kid, you know, you go to college and yeah. follow your dreams. You'll never work a day in your life. You'll always be doing what you love. It's it's just not to, to be the bearer, the baron of bad news. It's, it's, it's not feasible. And there's something to being, to being a cog in the wheel, you might say, but you can be a really great cog in the wheel. You could throw freight at night at a grocery store and be the best at it. And, mm-hmm without even realizing it you're impacting and affecting thousands of people's lives you could work in a in a hospital and you can stock the supplies in the hospital you're you're affecting you're literally affecting thousands of people's lives if you weren't there doing that job well you're impacting a huge number of people that it's inconceivable to think who you're impacting and even though the, i don't think that's necessarily the message that movie's trying to get across it it, it kind of it's what got across to me in that moment that you can't just dilly-dally and, and go back and forth forever and sink yourself into a hole. Like, this is where this hole leads. Van Gogh, he, I think he ended up taking his life when he was well into his 30s, almost 40s. And it's like, yeah, if you just chase an endless hole of just, I'm going to do what I love and, uh, you know, world be damned. Yeah, you'll make some really incredible stuff out of it. And I don't want to just, like, just, I'm getting all over the place. But no, you're discourage good. You're good. anybody out there who's making content. I'm making content as it is. And art is content. My wife is a fantastic painter. I encourage her to paint. But she has a full-time job on top of that. Um, I just felt like maybe I had been leaning too much on, you know, family or friends or whatever to just kind of skirt through life up to that point as an adult. Like, I hadn't really grown up yet. I thought that I could kind of do whatever. And I was only just working at a grocery store because it's what I'd always done. It was my first job in high school, and I stuck with it. And it's almost like I was a prisoner of my own making in that job. I never really reached out of it. I was able to skate by, you know, people only really work to their comfortability and I was always comfortable. So it's why, why venture outside of that? Um, something about that movie and I encourage anybody to watch it really, really honed that message into me that it's, this is kind of where this leads. And yeah, you may make some fantastic masterpieces, but you might lose your mind in the process and (laughs) you're going to bring everybody down with you. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, uh, it sounds like a movie I would really enjoy, honestly. And yeah. there's something that you said that I wish I could think of the word. I don't know, but my, my wife's a genius. She's, she's went to college. She has a master's degree. And she was just telling me a couple months ago, um, that, uh, cause she's, she's working on writing a book and everything. And I was ta- telling her 
we were talking about how like I can't remember how the conversation came up, but like you know, people will put out a book or a movie or a podcast, video, whatever, yeah. mm-hmm. and somebody, the audience, will draw a conclusion that the uh, author did not intend, and. I don't know what the word is. It's something I need to look up afterwards. But my wife was mm. telling me that there's this known term for once you put your art out there, what a person gets from it, they're not wrong. They're yeah. never wrong. If you, it's even like, you know, if you, uh, if like a certain religious person put out a uh, piece of work and then the person who read it wasn't religious and the person who wrote it was, it was supposed to be about religion, but this person took it as love for their spouse or whatever. Um, you can you can say that it was a fact that it was not their intent, mm-hmm. but the the credibility of how you feel is genuine and matters. Um, yes. So like you because you said like at one point you're like the loving Vincent right that's what it's called yep yeah um, you said at one point like that's not the what the movie was probably trying to get across but it's like that's the beautiful thing about art and content is that it doesn't really matter what they're trying to get across if you got something so from you take it, away that from was it. success yeah. you know yeah so. But no, it sounds really. It sounds like something that I've, my wife. That's been in my watch. I like to watch that makes us think. Yeah, that's been in my yeah. watch list for a long time. And when I first saw the trailer for it, I was like, "This looks just from a cinematography perspective, mm. looks beautiful." And you can tell so much work was going into it. I, I think I remember seeing some stills, and this is so out of context. You'll at least kind of know what I'm talking about. But I remember it's like it's like a scene where these two dudes are in, I think, a diner talking or yeah. something like that. And this one guy's. I think making fun or mocking some dude. Maybe it was Vincent himself that was like depressed or something like that. And then the dude looks at him and says, "Live long enough, and you'll, you know, something like life will yeah. do that to any can do that to anybody." Right. And I was just like, "Oof, I gotta see this movie. I gotta see it." it looks yeah, cool. definitely. But it's also I've all I've like also it. kind of put it off because it's like I love those types of films that mm. really emotionally challenge my attention and command it, and then right. influence me. And uh, but then at the same time, I have to get myself psyched up to watch those because most of the time yeah. I watch a movie, I'm like, I'm gonna eat some pizza or something like that. That's not the kind of movie for that. It's a more intimate experience, no. I think. A more you have to be emotionally movie. available for that type of movie. Absolutely, sure. but it's you know, so a, worth a com- it. A combination of what you said um, about like you know the fact that you know you just work at a grocery store, or I just stock medical supplies, Josh works at the grocery store. Um, and then also going back to when you said, like, Lord of the Rings, you watched that and it made you feel like, you know, you want to be there, you want to experience this adventure, but that's not real life and you knew that even at a young age. Um, something that I've really come into in my adulthood, probably in my mid to late 20s, is I've started to take such an appreciation for my own adventure, no matter how uh, insignificant it, it is. And I think I think that's a lesson that most authors would probably want you to take away from their work because I think it would be selfish to expect anything else. Um, you you know that you can't experience these things that are you're, you're seeing in, in movies or media or being Master Chief saving the world or Lord of the Rings and destroying the ring and yeah. all that stuff. Um, but I've just I've just started to like you know as much as I love these fake universes that we indulge in constantly. Uh, over the last four or five years, I've really backed up and said, but I appreciate my own adventure more. Uh, like my, you know, I moved, I moved to West Virginia. I got married. I, me and my wife going out for a walk or us going on a, a road trip. They're super normal. They're super like insignificant in, in, in concept, but those are the things that are actually real and actually really happening to me. The experiences that I'm making, this is my journey, my adventure. It's just all about gratefulness and, and, yeah. and gratitude yeah. and yeah. not taking things for granted. Cause I mean, you definitely like, I can watch Lord of the Rings and uh, that's usually my biggest takeaway is it. 
it really reminds me of like, hey, I should probably call my mom or I should really tell my friend how much yeah. I appreciate them and stuff. And like, that's that's really important because I I realize like, yeah, I might <laughs> never go to Mordor, which is a good thing. But, you know, but some of the other good aspects I may never experience, but I can look at some of mine and I can think like, you know, like, I, I don't know what park it was, Brian. I can remember a couple of times before you moved out, we took, a, we go to this one park and we would just walk for like a few hours and talk. And I'd be like, I'm ready to go back. I'd be sweating and everything. And you'd be like, I'm good to keep going. But those, I, I remember those and I don't, you know, they were insignificant. I don't even remember the context of what we talked about, but I remember, yeah, I, think, I remember us walking I think it's there. really important. Yeah. I think it's really important to step back and, and like appreciate your your own life and adventure because i i'm only saying this like i, I know i've said this before many times on the podcast like a lot of these times i don't say these things to be preachy i say them to be introspective of my own experience and to mm-hmm. share them um you know in high school and early early adulthood 18 19 20 around there i was so obsessed with video games so obsessed with media that they dictated a lot of my emotions and feelings about life and I'm not like that anymore, and I'm really glad I'm not because those things, they're so awesome because the the way they make us feel, the enjoyment, the, the the community we get from them, but they're also not real, and they're never intended to be real. So right. I think it's so important to acknowledge that and 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 spend spend some real time on the real things in your life, like you know, yeah, you know, like I've been caught up in an MMO before, and it's like okay, well you've played, I know you've your character in World of Warcraft's amazing, but like. Just like that's that's also just not real, you know. Well, it's like I, take a moment and just like go engage with. If you take a walk with your friend, like that's, I don't know. It sounds like we're all on a similar page of like you know, and I think most people are. Is when you're younger, you play video games as much as possible because it is an escape, you know, and it is a nice way to enter another world and feel like a hero. Maybe you don't necessarily feel as in control of your real life, you know, especially when you're that young, you know, and then you get older. And then you kind of start to get in command of things more and you figure some more things out. And even though we're always figuring things out, um, and the video games are still just as important. You know, other things take more precedent and we get more value in our life. We Like I see my gray hairs and I realize, okay, like once I got out of my 20s, I realized I felt like I was going to be in my 20s forever. You know, it just was such a long span of time for me. And then I got, I turned 30 and I was like, holy shit, I made it to 30. And I was like, whoa. And then I was like, someday I might make it to 70 and i was like whoa and i was like i love video yeah. games but i don't i don't want to sit in front of my tv the entire time i don't think anything's wrong with still playing a shit ton of them but you know stuff other things that other things become more important and you get different perspectives because you know when you're younger Definitely. you got the whole world in, in front of you when you get older I feel like you have endless you're, time. you're in it now and you're living yeah. you know so it, it uh, but it's beautiful in that sense because it really helps definitely give a, a lot better perspective i think so there's a great quote i wish i could attribute it correctly but it's that you're born twice right you're born when you enter the world and then you're born when you realize that your time is finite that your time wow. is valuable yeah and i think there's a lot to that and i think a lot of people get that in their late 20s and into their 30s i think it's yeah. just that's how it's supposed to be and Sacred then you realize you know, your, deep. your time is limited you need to spend it in a way that will leave you at the end of this world feeling satisfied. Yeah. yeah and not in regret. Absolutely. absolutely. Very well said. Brent, why don't you tell us about Nightwire? Tell us about Yeah, what you're so doing. since we're done talking about, yeah. Well, I love the, this, though. Uh, Sacred Icon gets School deep. of Life. Yeah, I'm loving yeah. it. Keeping it sacred. Like, let's get to this. Um, let's get the deep voices. Um, <laughs> yeah, Oni Nightwire, originally Oni Section 1. This is my third foyer into trying to podcast. Um, and to varying degrees of success. Um, back when I was in high school, early days of podcast, p- 
pretty much. I think, well, it was even before high school. I think it was about 2008. So it was our love for Halo 3. And I met a lot of guys to shout out to Dustin um, for Podtacular, but I still have some lifelong friends that I made through Podtacular. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, the most I had played um, Halo 2 really online was that final week before they shut it off the servers. I didn't play Halo 2 online at all prior, mm -hmm. but Podtacular was hosting this like week-long event, and I got in that way. That was my first experience playing Halo 2 online multiplayer, was in its final days. Mm -hmm. I made lifelong friends to this day in that experience and, and after the fact. So we had a podcast called Game Bite in high school. Oh, nice. It was mostly just a bunch of high school kids talking about game news and but we kept diverging into Halo. Like we would always just, it's a lot like Back around. this Halo podcast that talks a lot about Lord of the Rings. It's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, anyway, that kind of, as people moved on and moved out of high school, that naturally came to a close. And then in 2015, leading up to Halo 5, I mean, talk about the hype train. I was like, I got to get back into this. But this time I just want to do a Halo podcast. And I, I love the name for it to this day. Um, it, it was called the bastard truth and it was it's a, a quote from halo 3 and it was like the brutes and the bastard truth yeah. but the point was supposed to be that it was going to be going through lore and i took a lot of inspiration from haruspis who him and i have had he probably doesn't remember but some um, chat conversations way back when as well i really admired his content then mm -hmm. and i wanted to do a similar thing but in an auditory perspective i wanted to bring the lore of halo to people but that was a long format podcast. It was really hard to sustain at the time. Um, I didn't have quite the voice that I have today. And uh, those episodes were like two hours long and change. And I think I only made maybe 12 or 15 of them before Halo 5 came out. The last episode we did was a spoiler cast for Halo 5. And you can see from our previous discussion how that kind of went. So between Halo 5's story and uh, I had some external stuff going on in life, I had a bad breakup kind of come and go, that podcast kind of died on the vine. I didn't really get to finish it. And I, and I was enjoying it. Even in the short amount of time, it had gotten up to like 2,000 like listeners. The, we were talking the other day, Brian, that the infrastructure for podcasting is not as good. It wasn't as good even five years ago as it is today. So it was right, hard yeah. to kind of gauge how many people you actually had listening. Um, but it was successful in a short amount of time, and I think largely in regards to the to the Halo hype um, at that time. But then that kind of came to a close, and I went off and lived my life and grew from any number of bad relationships, moving in and out of cities, you know, whatever it is. And right. now I'm married, and I've got, you know, it seems like I've got, there's this uh, meme I've seen floating around where he's like, I finally have all three. It's like, it's like, <laughs> I have a wife, I have a computer and I have a, an apartment or whatever it is. Yeah. Right. It's like, yeah, I finally have it. And, uh, it feels like this is the best time to get back into it. And it's something that has never left me. I mean, ever since, like I said, 2008, 2009, I've always wanted to get back into it. And even, even said that first podcast we did when I was in high school, that was supposed to be like a sister podcast to Podtacular. We just could never really get it off the ground. It was supposed to be Podtacular's like alternate games podcast. Oh, gotcha. Um, yeah. And uh, so I've just, I've always had this itch. I've always had this desire to do it. Growing up listening to Giant Bombcast. Those guys are amazing. Jeff Gersman is, is truly the voice of the industry. Um, so anyway, I've always had this inspiration and yeah, it's just been an amalgamation of all sorts of different stuff. I, I'm even still discovering how many pieces are leading into putting this podcast together, Oni Nightwire. Um, like just the other day, I went to 
start my Etsy shop for the podcast. And it's like, no, you need to log in. You already have an account. I'm like, oh, I do. And I, and I log in and the, the store is called Oni Top Clearance. I'm like, well, that was a great name. I'm glad I nabbed that whenever the <laughs> hell I did like three years ago. Yeah. So it's, it feels like I keep I, all along the way, ever since the bastard truth, there, there's been this desire to get back into it. And uh, I've put all these pieces together, and finally now is the right time to do it. And I think I've got the right format and formula. And for those that don't know, that's uh, three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, Monday is monument to all your Mondays, which is the grave mind quote. And then that's just touching base on the news from the previous week. And we'll, we'll hit some amount of lore in there just chronologically. We'll kind of pick up wherever we left off. Uh, and then every day we have a daily dossier, and that's supposed to reveal a character from the Halo universe to you. And in large part, it's revealing it to me, too, because I just usually go to Halopedia and click random page until I find a character. And then I'm like, I knew nothing about this character. It's just totally random. You know, it could be mm -hmm. anybody, a Marine or something or some sort of scientist that you've never heard of before. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's been a learning experience for me, and I am hope that it's bringing a learning experience to other people. And then Wednesday is our war chest Wednesdays where I want to kind of reach into the war chest and pull out some equipment or weapon or something like that. And then Friday is Friday Frontline, and that's supposed to reveal or explain or bring to the light some sort of a skirmish or battle in the Halo universe and kind of put you in those boots. Um, but the, yeah, the format's only supposed to be 20 to 40 minutes long. It's supposed to be real short, which... Those are not my favorite type of uh, types of podcasts. I know they're not your guys' favorite types of podcasts either. I mean, I'm very much like with you. Uh, if a podcast isn't three hours long, I'm usually like, I'll skip it. <laughs> <laughs> but I was noticing as time went on that um, the podcast, lately I've been so busy that the podcast that I reach for besides your guys' is, is a podcast that is only so long because I'm going to be asleep in five minutes anyway, or 10 minutes anyhow. So it needs to have that sort of quality where I can kind of lull to sleep. And your guys' podcast for Halo, obviously love your love your guys' show. And thank you, man. At one point in time, even before I discovered your show, I was like, this is perfect because this is largely what you guys do. Is at one point what I kind of was trying to do for a Halo podcast. I was trying to get some of the gang back together to talk about the good old days of Halo mm -hmm. and you know, just discuss things, but I could, you know, a lot of people have kids now they're married or whatever it is. It's, it's difficult. And I know you guys do what you can to, to make it happen. So ultimately I could never really get that going. I couldn't really find my, my better half to do that podcast with. And so I finally just said, you know, I can do it on my own. There is a way to do this and sustain it. And, uh, people have been telling me for years, like, you got a great voice. And I'm like, yeah, no, and I tell him, oh, I used to have a podcast, used to have a podcast, and it's like, well, maybe you should have a podcast, so. Yeah, dude, no, your your voice is, uh, it's amazing, because I, I, I'm not going to lie to you, there's been several times where I've been talking to you, we've been talking through this podcast, and I've been like, Brian, you're going to just, you're going to start dozing off, because <laughs> like, it's so, yeah. it, it's so calming, and I, I, I've listened to a couple of your episodes, and I'm just like, Man, like I'm in the best possible way. Like I'm dozing off because of how yeah. succinct and the to mm. you keep the tone at the same pace, but it's also interesting. I know Josh pitched, Josh watched it or listened to it first and pitched it to me, and he was like, he's like Brian, you know, it's actually really good. Like you should check it out. Like you know, it's 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 got a great voice and everything. And um, yeah, dude, you, what you said about uh, trying to get some people together to to do a podcast, it is extremely hard. 
Oh, yeah. There's probably people listening who've never tried it who are going, these guys are just making it sound hard because they're doing right. it. And they, you know, <laughs> it's actually really hard because Josh and I don't have any kids uh, and anything like that. And we still have a lot of trouble getting together to just get a 90 minute to two and a half hour podcast once a week. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes we have to, you know, or maybe someone's internet's down. It's like, okay, well, that was the one time that we could yeah. do it. Yeah. And the internet's down. Uh, so it's really tough uh, to do that. Um, uh, we appreciate what you, you said about our podcast, man. Um, yeah, you've been here for, I don't even remember when you weren't here. I mean, I know there was a little I bit think, of time, yeah, but I don't I remember. Forget. It's at least a year. Yeah. Yeah. A year. Over, it's been a while. over a year. Been a while. Oh, um, <laughs> but yeah, you've, you've been super supportive and we want to be supportive for uh, towards you with uh, night. You still Oni Nightwire, right? Is that because I just say. Nightwire. Yeah. Oni Nightwire. So O-N-I, the Office of Naval Intelligence. From the yeah. universe, and it's fun too. I get a lot out of it. I mean, I I get to role play a little bit as a Oni agent. Notice that I like I that. Like, yeah, I like yeah, making I mean, the quips. This this is a perfect place to to advertise it because, like, obviously, we would advertise it if it was going for the same thing as us because we don't we're not worried about competition or anything like that. We always yeah. would advertise people's stuff. But the thing that's nice about yours is it's not the same uh, thing as ours. So you could it's a it's a, be a good complimentary podcast. It's not as long. It's not the same type of type of coverage. Uh, so you guys should definitely check it out. Josh, I know you, Josh is the compliment king. I know he wants to lavish you with praise here. <laughs> it's, oh, man. It's been so for so long as I've been waiting. He, Josh is just like, go ahead, Brian, say what you got to say because okay. the real wave's coming in once I get Okay, it. so here's the thing, man. Um, I, my, okay, first off, your voice is incredible. It, it is really, really good. I've gotten compliments on my voice, and I heard you, <laughs> the moment I heard yours, I was like, oh, okay. Passing the crown. I was like, here you go, man. Because <laughs> Thank you. I went and listened to it when I was at work and that was really good. And that's when I recommended Brian. I was like, this is like some NPR level shit, dude. Like this is really good. And I was like, Perfect. I don't listen to NPR, but I've heard it. And I'm like, I don't like, I don't, I'm not necessarily interested in what this person's talking about at the time. But I'm like, if someone talked like this about something I'm interested in, I would love that. And then I never thought that we'd get something like that for halo, but then you're doing what nobody else is doing. And it's like, why did no one else ever think about this? And so then I get to the second episode and the preface to set the stage, I'm at work on my break. And what I usually do is I go up, like I go up there, uh, upstairs, I eat something real quick. And then I look at my phone and then I just literally like for the last like 10 minutes, I just like put my head down. Cause I just, I take my breaks by myself and it's dark and I just get like 40 winks real quick. Well, I kind of like my, I bring my head up and I'm like, okay, now I'm a little tired. I got like halfway through the night. I still got halfway to go. And I'm like, I don't feel like listening to music. I'm like, I don't want to listen to some podcasts right now. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Brent's got a podcast. And I was like, his is really soothing. So then I go and I put on the second one. And I'm like, let's do this. I'm downstairs. or I, You know, I'm down on the, the floor and I'm, I'm working. And suddenly I get the ASMR chill. And I'm like, oh. and I'm like, all right, let's go. And I was just, I was immediately calm. And I just felt like I was able to just continue. It helped get me through that last part of the shift because it helped like, Wake me back up, but very gently. Whereas, like, for you, I know for you, it's also kind of like, you know, you like to listen to some podcasts as a way to wind down, go to sleep, and stuff like that. For me, which I do, uh, I, I will do that with it now, but um, that was very much of a way to really help get me through that as a way to, like, carry me through. I don't know the best way to explain it, but it was really uh, just the gentle voice and the the, the deep, uh, the depth of it, and also the knowledge of what you're saying. It's I like it because you're... Your voice is deep, you're focused, 
Um, but then you also are like really convicted in what you're saying. Like, even though you're just reading it off, you know, wherever, like you said, the wiki or whatever, but like, you know, someone could try to do the same thing, but if they weren't like convicted in what they're saying is people are going to fall off. I think it's clear that he has previous podcast experience. Oh yeah. Thank you. Cause even I had forgotten and I, it's like, you forget, it feels like something you did a lifetime ago. Yeah. Like, can I even still do this anymore? And, and to be honest, the show notes, even though it is a lot of copy and paste from Halopedia, you know, that's why at the end of every episode, I make sure to specially thank everybody who runs that site, everyone who works on it. I go to every page I pull from and I look and see who's the last editor on it. And I make sure to thank them because they're the ones really doing the work here. I'm just kind of copy and pasting it into Word. But what's been nice is I can kind of go through and I have to fix it grammatically so that I can, it, it reads well, right? Right. Like I got to put line breaks in it and stuff mm-hmm. so it reads naturally. And in doing that, I'm able to actually go back and edit the pages. Sometimes I'm like, oh, there was a typo here or whatever. So it's kind of like, it's a, it's like a feedback loop. And it's like, I it's think cool. Halopedia and my podcast together, it's kind of like we're making it better together. And I'm just, I'm just releasing it in a way that's a little more uh, digestible. It's not, you don't have I to love read the through the whole page. Too. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, I really do. Who, who made that? I did. Hell yeah. Okay. Hell yeah. yeah. I really like it. It's it's perfect. It perfectly suits what you're going for. Yeah. And I Thank really you. love that it feels like kind of in universe because I, I mean, me being terrible with Halo lore specifically, I can't remember exactly what the name was, but you were talking about, uh, I think it was a female Spartan, but it was a Spartan and mm-hmm. she, there was something that happened and she couldn't like be a regular Spartan, but they still found purpose for her. Mendez was like, or someone I think it was, was like right. still something, yeah. you know, we could still make good use, you know, and put her talents to use. And the way you phrased it and was talking about that story, you did it in a way that was like, you know, you're out there, you know, Oni and stuff and talking about this. Yeah, I try. Anytime Oni is mentioned or Saren Osmond, like there's an episode where I'm like, my boss over here, I hope Saren Osmond doesn't get this or whatever. (laughs) Or at the start of every episode, it's a random planet. It's a random spaceship. It's doing something random in universe. I think it's kind of adds to the appeal. Hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, to to plug you further, man, I think uh, for anybody who... Now, it's not exactly the same. I'm not going to say it's the same exact thing, but I think uh, your podcast comes a lot more in line with what people experienced in Hunt the Truth than something like ours does. So if you guys like Hunt the Truth... You know, maybe check out. Oh, that's uh, high praise. Hell yeah. Um, Maybe I can get get... Mark Hamill on the the show. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Before we get out of here, man, go ahead and take the time. Like, plug all your stuff. Tell people where to go to plug you on Twitter, to, to, to find your podcast, everything you want to plug. Go ahead and take that moment now to do it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, Oni Nightwire. It's spelled like it sounds. One word. Oni is O-N-I. And Nightwire is night and wire. Just one word. It should be available everywhere. Podcasts are sold. And, uh... Last I checked, yeah, everything's updating correctly. Um, Spotify, I think, is so far is the best. It's not even what I use personally, but I think it's probably the best place to listen to it. Mm-hmm. And thank you, Brian, for advertising Anchor. Uh, I've been using that, and like I was saying, it's it's never been easier to make a podcast, really. Yeah, both of you. I mean, I don't know. That was like once I saw how easy it was to do. It is uh, crazy how. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're not we're no longer getting paid by them. Our our uh, ad chip <laughs> ran so out. like no, thank but, you. But I will say to anybody listening, if you want to make a podcast, uh, it does not get any easier than Anchor. You can literally, if you are an owner of a smartphone, they will enable you to make a podcast through that smartphone. You can record it through your smartphone. You can edit through your smartphone and then publish it to Spotify, Apple Podcasts and stuff. So there's really no, there's no, there's no entry fee. You don't have to pay to download the app or anything. And then if you manage to get listeners, there's also an opportunity to promote Anchor and make money off of it through there. We we discovered, I think it. I would like to think it's because of how many are because of our audience size. 
the money was going up. Once we start turning it on, the money was going up so quick. They cut us off pretty quick. I'm guessing. Um, Got to stop. I'm guessing it would last. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing if it lasted, if uh, you had like a smaller audience, you would be able to use the ad longer. Is my guess. Uh, okay. But yeah. It's great. It's great. So, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Anybody out there who's con- contemplating it, uh, the big thing for me is the hosting is free. And that stuff can get expensive quick if anybody out there is familiar with podcasting, mm-hmm. if you try to host. Yeah. I mean, it, it adds up. You're, you end up putting, and I know you guys did too, when you start. I mean, yeah, I look at all the equipment I have now, even before I was podcasting. The investment is more than what you get out for it. You do it because you love doing it. Right. Exactly. And I try to make that clear in every episode too, because I feel like maybe some people will will think, oh, man, he's two weeks into a Halo podcast, and it's just before the game. You know, once the game comes out, is the podcast going to go away? And believe me, nobody's more afraid of that than me. And like I said, with Halo 5, it's like I had a podcast, and then because of all these you know, circumstances, I had to put it away. I had to shelve it mm-hmm. after Halo 5 came out, and I kind of always regretted doing that. And I did feel guilty. I did feel like, well, did I just make a podcast just for the hype train and then split? But I didn't make any money off of that. I'm not making any money off of this either. And with this, I think the the format is finally something that I, and just having fun doing it. I, I can see myself doing this for a long, long time. Oh so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, feel feel free to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, Only Nightwire, and then follow me on Twitter. And luckily, again, like uh, all the puzzle pieces are fitting together super well. Yeah. Years and years ago, I grabbed that name, uh, Oni fourteen twelve two four nine four BB. Yeah. Yeah. Grabbed it years and years ago, just like as a joke, and now it's paying off in stride. So I love it, man. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Man. Anyone who hasn't listened to it yet, definitely go check that out. It's way different than any other podcast I've heard out there, and I love it for that reason. Um, especially if you're someone, I mean, whether you're someone who likes the lore or whether you're someone who would like to know more of it, but you're at work and you can't really indulge in just that kind of stuff. It's a great way to kind of get educated on that stuff and and not in a way that's that's overloaded or anything it's just it's a very relaxing experience but you get to learn at the same time and i think that's just a perfect balance you've struck with that so i definitely want to you know it's you know it's crazy josh i don't it might just be the lighting that we see brent in right now but brent looks extremely like the pilot before he grows out his beard in that trailer. <laughs> like, yeah. it actually yeah. looks very similar. Yeah. I right did. Now. I'm dead. <laughs> but no, Brent, That's you're an amazing, good. you're an amazing dude, man. Uh, I've loved having you as a friend uh, in this Discord uh, as long as we Thank have. You guys, it's uh-huh. it's truly bizarre that I'm only just hearing your voices. Like we're having a conversation, yeah. voice to voice for the first time because it feels like it's been that way for like a year. Yeah. Right. More. Yeah. That's what I see. That's a, it's a sign of a good. Uh, well, I guess that, I guess that sounds self complimentary. Now I was about to say it sounds. No, you it's should. A sign you of, should pay. It's a no, sign of a good pay. podcast when the people who listen feel like they're your friends just listening. We get a lot of feedback on that. And right. It means that, that that shit means a lot because definitely want to yeah do that. I know when we've listened. I mean, we're we're nothing podcast. without the listeners, right? right. I mean, it, that's that's the thing. Yeah. We we, we and, and we've always uh, strived to continue to talk to people and be real with people, uh, despite how big or small we've been like I, I i people tell us all the time like oh you actually talk to us it's like why wouldn't we like that's just like <laughs> yeah it just seems weird to us you know yeah like, why wouldn't we talk to people yeah. but i know there's a lot you know much bigger people out there there are youtubers and stuff right that uh yeah you, you can't really it gets get in contact tough with but yeah. it gets to a size where you can't do it yeah. for sure yeah but yeah, yeah. brent but, uh, I agree. love you dude and have loved getting to have you on the show you're an amazing person uh i love your enthusiasm you always bring to the discord uh, I feel like a huge significant part of it would be lost if you ever left or something like that. You have just been there for so long and have really put your stamp on it. And now also doing this podcast has really helped, I think, just elevate you too and get to hear your voice. And since it's so iconic 
and relaxing, all the more people oh, don't don't say I kind of don't call Luke. <laughs> you say it too many times, he'll just suddenly appear. Yeah, <laughs> but it really it really uh, makes it unique, I think. And and then also just seeing the pictures, uh, get to see in there. Um, you and your wife, I mean, you guys look so amazing together. Are such a great Thank pair. Uh, I love the story you've told us before in the Discord just about you two meeting, and it just makes me all the more happy when I see pictures of you guys. And nobody wears shorts better than you. Oh, <laughs> if the sky you. is out, no. ladies and gentlemen, uh, those thighs are out. God bless. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. When, I, when I've seen pictures of you and your wife, I'm like, man, I would. I think me and my wife could double date with them. They yeah, dude. Oh, uh, yeah. I would love to. If we only we were closer. I gotta give her a plug. She's been here. She wrote a bunch of handwritten notes like, "I miss you" and "Join me soon," and she's Aww. been sliding them under the door. <laughs> <for like laughs> that's great. That's very. Yeah. That's cute. And she knows. She knows what I'm doing. That's romantic. She's always been. That's nobody has been more supportive. Truly, uh, even before the podcast, just seeing me geek out about Halo or geek out about dinosaurs or whatever it is. She's been there all along the way. And she's all along the way, stuff that she never cared about or even watched or seen or played. She's given it a shot, and it turns out she's a huge fan of it. Because she likes too, so. you. <laughs> she likes me. It's true. She does. I, I resonate oh, yeah. entirely with you, man. I would. I wouldn't trade uh, Erica for nothing. She's to say she did. She tried Halo many times. She didn't like Halo. Hashtag so Erica. I can't say she no, got yeah, everything. Erica tried Halo. <laughs> but uh, right. but no, Erica's been just the same way you're talking. Just super supportive. Like when when my podcast is going, I'm like I'm like uh, when I started back. We started Cigarette Icon. I was like. I need you to be quiet and, and keep things down and don't let right. the dogs bark, yeah. whatever. And she has held true to that. Like when 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 I'm going to record, she talks to the dog. She's like, "Okay, Dad's going to do his, his job, his work thing." So like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, super supportive. So, yeah. but guys, uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Sacred Icon Podcast with Brent on here. Make sure to check out Oni Nightwire, and as always, keep it sacred.